Are you ready? Uh, let's get ready to rumble! Can't wait! This, this, this is Moffat on the Mic on the A1 Sports Network. Bow to the masters. Break it down! How you doing, everybody? And welcome to the Moffat on the Mic radio show. We are live, as always, on the A1 Sports Network Facebook live feed. You can follow the show on Instagram at Moff on the Mic, at Twitter at On Moffitt, and on Facebook. You can follow Clem and the A1 Sports Network on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. I am Craig Moffitt, and the show would not be complete without the production stylings of Rockin' the 80s headband, I see. Mm-hmm. Talking about the one and only Chris Clem. What's up, Craig? How's it going, man? I'm doing good. Good weekend. Got my got my Clem Weisers here, and I'm, I'm ready to go. Aren't you working today? <laughs> That, 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 that's later. That's later. <laughs> Fair enough. Now, <laughs> I don't judge. Um, busy weekend. We got a lot to do. We're gonna we're gonna get into. Um, I thought we'd do a little some memos today, Clem, to uh, some certain players, teams, uh, to cut the drama and the bullshit. We will, uh, of course, talk about towards the end of the show. We will talk about WrestleMania weekend with uh, WrestleMania. We didn't really get into NXT. So we'll talk a little about NXT as well. We'll talk about WrestleMania, two nights WrestleMania. And uh, I guess the good, the bad, and the ugly about WrestleMania for the weekend. And uh, we'll get into a couple of things. Um, Of course, uh, actually, the big news that broke earlier today was uh, there was another shooting yesterday in Minnesota. So that has prompted the Minnesota Twins and the Minnesota Timberwolves to postpone their games this evening. Twins were scheduled to take on the Red Sox and the T-Wolves were scheduled to take on the Nets. And... um, there was a lot of talk because Kyrie Irving was sitting out this game for personal reasons, which no one can understand how you can keep sitting out games for personal reasons. This is the third time this season he's done it. And then Carl Anthony Towns was the latest one that was going to sit out as well. Uh, and I guess I would assume in protest of what happened uh, in Minnesota. So, um, you know, it's a very disturbing thing going on right now. It's uh, very troublesome, you know, depending on who you talk to, of course, you, you know, you swear up and down, you know, it's, I'm not even going to comment any further on it, but it's just a very tough situation. And when we thought we got past this, unfortunately we didn't. And we're kind of right back to where we started. But enough about that. Uh, Mets game postponed tonight against the Phillies. They'll make it up for a doubleheader tomorrow. And um, Clem, how about this? Over the weekend, uh, your boy David Lennon was uh, kind of posting a tweet that was kind of like the Mets shouldn't have traded Steven Matz. Oh, yeah, because he has two good games. But, of course, you get that one Mets fan who goes on and on and says, oh, my God, we shouldn't have got rid of Steven Matz. I mean, the guy guy had a rough year last year due to COVID. And I literally wanted to laugh when I said that. And the thing is, one thing I learned is I don't go – I try not to go too toe-to-toe with fans too much Mm -hmm. because they're incredibly sensitive. And that is part of the reason why I didn't really go off on mania too much this weekend, <clears throat> because the last time I did, when I ripped the WWE on Twitter about the ridiculous decision to give Dakota Kai and Ra- just give Dakota Kai and Raquel Gonzalez the NXT tag titles, and then only have them lose it an hour later to mm-hmm. Shotzi and Ember, one guy was like beside himself. He was like. He was like, oh, my God. He's like, how could you say that? This is terrific storytelling. And you saw Regal made a mistake. And, and I'm like, dude, I mean, 
I said the prize was they get a title shot. Yeah. When they won the Dusty Cup. They shouldn't be given the belts a week later after losing the title shot. Like, it doesn't make any sense. Like, there's there's someone always out there that just loves to, no matter what it is, it could be like, oh, you know, I love carrots. And then someone could be like, oh, carrots are the worst thing in the world. There's there's always people out there on the internet that will just argue for the hell of it. And I'm just like, what the hell is the matter with you? And I figured that out a lot during this pandemic over the past year because people took to, they had nothing else better to do but to go online and just complain about everything (laughs) i try to be nice like i don't rip anybody like to shreds like the way like other people do some people are freaking terrible people by the way oh yeah Uh, i forgot who what oh i this is a funny story actually it's not a funny story it's actually a pretty sad story but just goes to show you the level of trolling there is on the on the internet Mm -hmm. so just incredible you know, former wrestler, you know, ECW, WWE wrestler. I actually got to meet him at a cap show. Ooh. Right. Super cool guy. Right. I, I shook his hand because they did like a kind of an ECW match with him and the Sandman and like uh, a couple of other guys. And he was signing autographs or whatever. And, you know, I just went up to him and I just said, listen, man, you had a great match. You know, it's good to see you, you know, back wrestling. And he was very appreciative. He was, you know, He's like, oh, you know, thank you. You know, it's funny how how many wrestlers always say brother. It's so funny. Like, I love it. It cracks me up like so much. Like every wrestler says brother, you know, so they're like, oh, thanks, brother. You know, I'm really trying to get back in the swing of things. I'm like, listen, man, you're doing great. You know, good for you. You know, hope it leads to continue. He's a super cool guy. So his wife, his wife was apparently he's taking like requests for podcasts and all that stuff, you know, because he's trying to make some money. So I guess he was scheduled to do a podcast mm-hmm. and this woman, I guess it was the kid's mother right. I would say, or whatever. He just said, the mother got really pissed off and the mother said, you know, to add, you know, hashtagged him and everything and said, you know, you were supposed to do my son's podcast and you didn't, you know, you should at least give us the money back that we paid you to do the podcast. Okay. Okay. Just incredible comes back and says that, his wife had a seizure and was in a hospital. Now, at that point, I would just be like, boy, do I feel like a dick? Yeah. <laughs> you know, like I would be like, holy shit, I'm sorry. You know, like I had no idea, whatever. You right. know? But the mother had a weird response to that, almost like, uh, well, you know, you should give him the money back type of thing. And like, just incredible. like, my fucking wife was in the hospital, you idiot. Yeah. Like, and I, I literally, I laughed. Like, I, I felt bad for Justin Credible, and I pray, you know, I hope Justin Credible's wife is doing, doing better, doing well, you know. And when you read his tweets, like, you really feel sad about what happened. Like, yeah, like shit, like that. It's like, okay, like you, so you don't let it be like you don't be like a dick and just be like, can I get the money back though? Like, obviously, like he has go, he's got more important shit going on in his life. His wife podcast. His wife is in the hospital and it's, it's fairly serious. It's like, you need to, you know, you need to slow your roll and you don't rip him for any, you know, that's just, it's, yeah. you'd you be know. like, Oh my God, I'm so sorry. You know, well, I'm trying to see if I can find it, but I think it's going to be really tough to find. But I think it's such a dick move to be like that. Like, yeah, I just, I can't. Oh, here it is. Okay. <laughs> so I'm going to read it real quickly. So the lady wrote, hello, my son booked you for Thursday at 630 and has not heard from you. He waited hours. I don't know what happened, but if you couldn't do it, you should refund my money and let him know you couldn't do it. 
So he wrote, yes, I understand, but my wife is in the ICU of New Haven, Yale. She had a seizure and she is not in so good of shape. So it's very insensitive that you would say something like that to me when I barely know what is going on with my family. You can direct message me. Good point. She mm -hmm. put it out there publicly, right? He has a, you're able to DM him if you need, if you have a problem. Right. And I can't remember what, if, if he wrote, she didn't write anything. It looks like she didn't write anything after that, you know, but one guy wrote, not cool, Justin. Like, are you kidding me? <laughs> it's like, like, are you fucking kidding me right now with these? Like I said, some of these people are fucking trolls, man. And it's like, it's, it's the one reason why I hate social media. Like, I really do. Like, they're just beside themselves. And it's just, you see the angry people of the world, the angry sports fans of the world that don't look at things realistically or don't have any sympathy like this. You know, my next response would have been, holy shit, I had no idea I'm really sorry. My thoughts and prayers are with you and your wife at this really terrible time. You know, this is terrible. Yeah. Like, like, and I would have been, honestly, I would have been like, keep the money. I was like, I don't, you know, this is, this is far and away worse than what, you know, doing my, my son's show. No, exactly. Like there's no, there's not even an excuse to even say like, Oh, like I was doing it. No, no, there's no excuse for that. Like, like it just, just made me laugh because like, and I see it a lot on Twitter with like the Darnold defenders and, you know, and, and the, to the point where the whole Zach Wilson, Justin Fields talk is, is pure overkill. No you know, the way they talk about Zach Wilson and Justin Fields. Like it, it's like Clem literally like, listen, if you like Zach Wilson, that's fine. If you like Justin Wilson, that's good. But it literally goes back and forth. Like you don't know what you're talking about. You're an idiot, <clears throat> you know, Zach Wilson didn't play any good teams. Justin Fields is crazy, is crazy good and everything. It, it, the trolls are like, it's, it's insane. It's absolutely insane. No, it, it really is. Like, it's one thing to troll. And if like, you want to be like, oh, okay. You know, like apologize back like that by all means, like, but like to not even like have any like sensitivity to what he's going through. You're just a douchebag. Like what yeah. the fuck? Like I feel terrible. So on behalf of the mouth on the mic show, we really hope that Justin Credible and his family are doing okay during this. It's, it's terrible. Like there's not, and listen, when I was a kid, I used to suffer from seizures. Hmm. I used to get fever seizures when I was a kid. My temperature would spike to like 105. Right. 106. I would, I would go into seizure. You know, I would have seizures. That's just part of being it growing up. Right. You know, they're not fun. You know, like your, your body, you have no control over your body whatsoever. And, you know, I was in the hospital one time for five days because they weren't sure I had to see neurologists. I had to see everybody because no one knew like what was causing it. Right. You know, and I was on medicine. So I was about 12 or 13, I would say hmm. until eventually. And that was more because I was scared to go off the medicine. Right. I was scared that if I went off the medicine, I would have a seizure within 48 hours. Right. You know, but my doctor had been like, well, you're going to have to go off of it eventually. So you might as well start now and then we'll see what happens if it does happen. Mm -hmm. Luckily, thank God, I have not had one since. But I do know how they feel and I do know how bad they are. And, you know, people can die from them. Oh, yeah, they can. It, it, and it's not. And the, it, like, again, like the fact that this lady had no sympathy towards what just incredible was. I would have literally been like, keep the money. I'm really sorry. I had no idea. And I would have left it that I was like. I was like, hopefully you, you know, when everything gets back on the, on the up and up, you know, I don't want to use that. And like, and like, and like, and like you said, like, even if like, 
you know, you really wanted the money back. You were just, you know, uh, you'd be like, you'd be like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. I had no idea. You know, can we just talk about this at a different time? And when, whenever, what, different time, whatever, whenever, you know, I hope she feels better. Just apologize. Don't be a douche about it. Like, like not like saying this is the same thing whatsoever, but you know, like me and my friend, when we went to the raw after mania and, this was a few months after Roman was in remission. You know, he was feeling good from his leukemia. So we were like, me and my friend were like, we were going to troll Roman. We were like, oh, yo, do we start booing him again? Like, what do we do? So naturally, we booed the shit out of him when he came out. You know, we figured, okay, it's, it's been long enough. We can boo him again. And he started talking about his uh, his journey with Kanto. Where me and my friend were like, "Oh, we're huge assholes! Like, yeah. like we're big dick! Like we're we're sorry! Like, like I know it's just it's just a lesson. This is a lesson before we get started. This is a lesson to everyone out there. Mm-hmm. Always wait for the shoe other shoe to drop. Okay." Like me, and my friend, we felt like huge dicks. We were like, "Oh fuck, here we go." Sure the people in your section were like, "You're an asshole." <laughs> I think they. I think someone curses yeah, out. Like, it was probably it was probably my daughter. Because remember, we were sitting really close to you at that. Remember one of the oh, rows? Yes, yes, yes. We yes. were sitting like ten rows away from you in a different section. And yeah. I was like, "It's probably my daughter calling you an asshole." Because me, and my friend, the whole the whole that whole day, we were like, "Do we boo Roman? Like, is this okay? Like, can we do it?" Because it was months after his remission. We we're like, "Okay, we gotta we gotta boo him again. We gotta get things back to normal. You know, start booing him again." We boot him, start talking about the cancer. I'm oh, like, oh, great. There you go. We're always assholes. <laughs> like the Deshaun, like for example, we'll, the Deshaun Watson shit. We when he when the first allegation came out, we were like, nah, it's a money grab and everything. Twenty two women later, we're kind of like, okay, maybe there's something to this, right? <laughs> so, but again, we you know our thoughts and prayers are with Justin Credible and his family. You know, it's, it's it sucks. It's a it's a terrible thing, but. You know, again, this is the problem with Twitter. Everybody's a tough guy behind a computer. Mm. Everybody, even yeah. you. Oh yeah, big time. <laughs> no, I'll, I'll, I'll admit it. Like there, like I'll, I'll say shit sometimes. I'm just like, eh. But then I'm like, you know what? Let me take it back a little bit. You know, like even even the other day, I was it's I just was way to be cool about it. Listen, you're always going to run into an asshole on Twitter or on social media. Like I make my points, and I'm very cool about it. I'm very casual with it, and. Most of the responses I get back from my points are not from dicks. It's one of the, it's when you get that thing that's like, oh, he's an asshole. He doesn't know what he's doing. Right. You know? But when I make a point, I, I lay it on the table. Right. Okay. Like the last tweet, I don't really tweet too much, but it was, I think it was about Darnold. Mm-hmm. And I wrote, I'll give me, give me one second while I just pull up my profile. Okay. I wrote, so for the record, a portion of Jets fans are happy that Salah is the coach and LaFleur is the OC, but insist on keeping a QB who turns the ball over too much, misses open receivers, and takes bad sacks instead of allowing the coaches and GM to pick their own QB. And I wrote, got it, <laughs> with an exclamation point. And this guy wrote back, and he was like, you know, he's written back to me before, and he wrote, you know, he wrote exactly. And we were just kind of going back and forth, and I just said, I said, I love the trade Douglas made. I said, Salah and LaFleur should be able to work with whoever they want at QB. Donald would have been under tons of pressure this year to succeed from the fan base. And if he failed, whose fault would it have been? I wrote, you can't play the Gase card anymore. Right? The Gase card is dead. Right. Okay. Well, you see, like, when you just put it out like that, people tend to respond differently. If you just kind of steamroll people with a smart-ass opinion, you're going to get a smart-ass answer back. No, yeah, you're absolutely right. Like, again, like I, there have been times I've posted in my Jets group chats – 
you know, just about, you know, my opinions or whatever. And people have just been like roasted me about my opinion. They're like, oh, thank God you're here. Like, we thank God we have you. I'm just like, there's no need to be an asshole about this. Like, yeah. like I've gotten it from people too. Like when I defended Douglas last year and everybody was like, you know, what are you talking about? He's a terrible general manager. And I'm like, well, enlighten me. What did he do that was so bad? Yeah. He's like, well, he didn't fix the offensive line. He brought in Kalen Ballage. And I'm like, it's his first year in the end in, with this team. I mean, I mean, is this what we're getting to now? Like, basically, this guy has three months to turn a team into thirteen and three. He didn't fire Gase. Like, Gase got him the job. He's not going to fire Gase this year. (laughs) I mean, but people are just like, and he's like, "Oh yeah, you're you're full of excuses." I'm like, "No, I'm not. I'm just being realistic." I'm like, you know, I want Joe Douglas to be my general manager. I don't want another guy to come in and try to fix it. I'm like, this is who I want. Yeah. So, all right. Time for a new segment on the show that I created yesterday. We're going to, Clem and I are going to do some memos, mostly me and Clem is just going to just jump in when necessary. Um, But basically, you know, to a lot of things that are going on, a lot of things that are pertaining to hype trains and all that other type of stuff and about teams, everything going on right now. So Clem, are you ready? I was born ready. Okay. So I have about 11 here that we can do. And then we'll get into the WrestleMania shit and then call it a day because Clem's got to go. All right. So first off, memo to the New York Mets. Please stop embarrassing yourself and give Jacob DeGrom some run support. Listen. Oh, crazy. I'm going to be very honest. If I was Jacob DeGrom and I know my opt-out is coming next year, I am not inclined to sign with you. I'd be very skeptical and Stevie Cohen better tell me, give me some damn good reasons why I should continue my career with the Mets. Because quite frankly, this is embarrassing. It's not even about whether it's a good thing or a bad thing. It's embarrassing. Like, I, I like I don't think DeGrom, I think Mech fans can agree that, like, DeGrom's the kind of guy that'll be like, you know, fuck this team. Like, I can't believe it. And he's, he said, hey, I think he's even come out and said, like, oh, I don't really care, you know, stats, blah, 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 blah all this, you know. But the fact, he's just so crazy that the fact that Jacob Tengram can go out and pitch a game like he did on Saturday and lose. It's like, are you kidding me? 14 strikeouts, Club. 14. The Jazz Chisholm home run. Like, okay, yeah, one run, fine. We can't score one run off the goddamn Marlins? When we have guys like Conforto, Pete Alonso. The same shit when they played the Phillies, man. I will give you a textbook example of what I'm talking about with the Mets. Bottom of the first in that game, Brandon Nimmo doubles to to left field. Great, right? Mm -hmm. Francisco Lindor gets on base with a bunt single, moves him over to third. And then in order, Francisco Lindor gets caught stealing. Michael Conforto strikes out. Pete Alonso strikes out. Inning over. Nimmo stranded at third. The problem I'm having with guys like Michael Conforto and Pete Alonso is they always think they have to hit home runs when they go out, get up to, to bat. They don't. Put the goddamn ball in play or just get it out into the outfield to get a sack fly or something like that. Okay. I also didn't quite understand why you're going to send Lindor on a steal with first and third and nobody out. Yes. Conforto, if Conforto grounds it to a double play, at least you get the run. In. Okay. But at the same time, what's bothering me is, again, this is two straight starts in a row. The first start against the, the, the Phillies, DeGrom had a 2-0 lead and the Mets blew it. 
Today, on Saturday, it was a one nothing. They were losing one nothing, and they only got three hits in the whole game. Mm-hmm. And one of them was by DeGrom. Yeah. Okay? So, something's got to give. I try not to panic five games into a season, but when you kind of see the same things over and over again with the leaky bullpen, the team unable to hit with runners in scoring position, this is two straight DeGrom starts that you blew. Okay, and quite frankly, though, those come back to bite you in the ass later in the season when you're three games out of first place, you know, with three to play. <clears throat> okay, right. It's 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 crazy, you know. And I think when Todd Frazier was on the team, he said this like it's just like it's psychologically in their heads that they just can't hit for Jake. And I don't know, you know, that was maybe two years ago. This is now like it's incredible that Jacob Degrom can basically go pitch almost a no hitter a perfect game, and we can't score a goddamn run for this man. When we have guys like Brandon Nimmo, who gets on base all the time, Dom Smith, Pete Alonso, Michael Conforto. Okay, Field. back to Nimmo. The reason why the Mets aren't scoring runs, by the way, has nothing to do with them not getting George Springer. Let's get that out of the way right now, because yeah. that'll be the first argument that gets played. Well, the Mets should have signed George Springer. Nimmo is not the problem in the field and at the plate. He is probably one of the most underrated players in Major League Baseball right now. Because that guy always gets on base. Yeah. I mean, and he rakes. He's got a sweet swing. He's fast. I mean, his defense leaves a lot to be desired in center field. But I don't think it's as bad as everybody makes it out to be. But the problem now is now you got Michael Conforto. Which leads me to my second one, by the way. Memo to Michael Conforto. If you want the big money, you need to be the big-time player. Mm -hmm. The one knock I've always had on Michael Conforto is he's streaky. He goes on tears, and then he disappears for weeks while someone else has to pick up the slack. If Michael Conforto wants to be a $200 million player, he needs to start producing in big spots. He struck out way too much to start the season, way too much. And on top of that, before the rain out last night, he was supposed to be batting sixth. Yeah, I know, which is crazy because you thought Conforto coming into the season was batting somewhere between three, four, or five. And the fact that Not to mention the fact that he got, to me, he was shady in that, that, that opening day game with the elbow. And I love the fact that Hernandez and Darling took him to task. I love that. I love Hernandez and Darling. I mean, good guy, you got us to win. Bad guy, you look like a bad guy. You leaned into it. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't see it at first, and I'm like, I'm like listening to the radio, and everyone's talking about it. I'm like, what the hell's going on? And so I text my buddies. I'm like, what happened? They were like, DeGra- he was like, he deliberately like leaned into a pitch. I was like, how deliberate? I see the video. I was like, oh. like he purposely puts the elbow. Oh yeah, he definitely did it without a doubt. I'm, listen, I'm not. A, I'm a Met fan, and I will tell you point blank: the Mets stole one. Oh yeah, bad guys. I have no shame in telling you the Mets stole one. I have no shame in admitting the Mets stole one. But listen, a win is a win, and I've seen the Mets get screwed on things plenty of times in the past. So this is just you know. So I said in many ways, Saturday was kind of karma for yeah. the terrible game for that game on Thursday. You know, when it's done, they won the game. I was gonna say, like, it's it was one of those things. Um, even the Mike, I was listening to Michael Kane, even he said it. It's like, sure, he's a bad guy for doing it, there's no rule against it. So it's like, you know, whatever. 
No, it's it's not it's not honestly it's not Conforto's fault. It's the Elms' fault. The Elms should have called it. A the Elms should have called it, but Conforto was dirty. Yeah, I, was, I honestly thought Conforto was getting plunked on Saturday. I no. was convinced he was getting plunked right away. No, it's like you know here's here we're over to wrestling. You know, obviously you got the triple threat last night with Roman Reigns, Edge, and Daniel Bryan. Sure, Jay Uso interfering is a dick move. It's a bad guy move. No rule against it. It's a triple threat. <laughs> oh, trust me. We'll get to WrestleMania <laughs> later. I'll try. I have plenty to say about how how disappointing it was. But all right. So I'm just gonna pull up so far Michael Conforto's stats for this year. Okay. But just what I'm showing you. He has had 21 at bats so far in five games. He struck out eight times. That's not good, man. It's not good at all. That's a third of your at-bats, basically. Almost a third of your at-bats. You've already struck out eight times. That is not good. Now, look, it's five games, so I don't wanna, I'm not going to have a heart attack about it. I'm convinced that Conforto will get it going. But right now, if you want to be the big man and you want to get the big money, you got to get the big hits. Exactly. You can't be striking out with the bases loaded. You can't be striking out. You can't be leaning, being a cheap – you know, doing a cheap shot and trying to lean your elbow into a pitch. Can't do that. You got to get the big hits. Otherwise, the Mets aren't going to pay you the $200 million you're going to be wanting because you're going to want more than Springer. And knowing Boris, Boris is going to try to get every ounce he can from the Mets because now they have a rich owner. No, yeah, exactly. And the fact that, you know, we were coming into the season with arguably that Conforto might have been, even after we got Francisco Lindor, that – Conforto was arguably our second best hitter on the team, third best hitter, maybe. Yeah. Back and the guy's hitting like he's our eighth best hitter. It's like, what are we seeing out of this guy? Like, and even guys like Listen, teams wrong. come out of the gates slow. You know, this is you know I say this a lot to Yankee fans too. Like Yankee fans have got to chill out. You know, because within two games they already want to get rid of Giancarlo Stanton. They want to get rid of Aaron Judge. They want to get rid of this guy. They want to get rid of this guy. Oh, that that has me mad too because with the whole. Everyone's complaining about Aaron Judge taking a day off. Like, relax. Like, yeah, I get it. It's four days in, and this guy's your best player. Yeah, but but the problem – here's why I don't disagree with Yankee fans. The Yankees have been really bad at trying to hide Judge's injuries in the past. Mm -hmm. You know, when he got hurt in that Angels game at the end of the season and it kind of went into the regular season of last year – and the only reason why the Yankees caught a break was because the season didn't start till July. Mm-hmm. So by that time he was healthy. Okay. And now all of a sudden you find out that he's got soreness on his side. What the hell does that even mean? I just think that, you know, they're just trying to take precautions at, at all they can with judge. At the end of the day, I still think, I think Aaron judge is a little overrated. I, I mean, also think I've so. always kind of said that I've always felt that he was more of an, he's injury. He is a major injury risk at this point in his career, I think, but he's still pretty young. He's like 25, I think, right? 26, maybe? No, he's old. He's not, he because he started old. I think he's like 28, 29. Yeah. But I mean, listen, the power's there. We know it's there, and we know the defense is there. Okay. But these injuries are too much. I mean, if I'm the Yankees, I have to really think about giving this guy a, a $400 million contract. That's what he's going to want. And the Yankees are going to start hitting that wall pretty soon where basically you have to make tough decisions on guys like Glaber, Mm -hmm. Judge, and Sanchez. You have to make tough decisions on these guys because you can't pay them all. 
And, you know, the thing is, you've had this core together for a, a while now, and you still can't get to the series. No, you can't. Exactly. And like you said, they're going to have to break it up at some point because there's no shot the way these guys keep playing that they can keep all these guys together. But Michael Conforto has to get off his ass and start being a hitter. Mm-hmm. Okay? It's five games in, so I'm not going to go freaking out about it. I'm not going to go bad shit about it or whatever. But right now, this team looks – at the plate, they look lost. Yeah, they do. And are the guys that we expected to be our good hitters, like you just mentioned, Conforto, uh, Pete Alonso, Lindor to even extent – and McNeil, MIA this, this but season. I will, but again, I will take it as five games into the year, not going to kill it. When we get to 20 games and we see this, then we've got a problem. And then we got to figure it out. So, all right, next one. Memo to Pete Alonzo. Stay out of company business. Now, what do I mean by that, Cliff? Before the Lindor extension was signed, we never talked about this because we were either not doing a show or we had the Pisanos on on Monday last week and all we did was talk wrestling. Pete Alonzo, before the Lindor extension got signed, Pete Alonzo basically came out and said in an interview with reporters that the Mets should pay Lindor $400 million. Mm -hmm. Okay. Here's the problem with Pete Alonzo. I love Pete Alonzo. Great player. Love his personality. Love the fact that he loves being here and is a Met and and everything. Won't take that away from him. But it's like, remember in the scene with the Godfather? And what does Michael Corleone say? Never saw the Godfather? Yeah, no, bad Italian. Bad Italian. I thought you were Polish. 50%. Well, that explains it. Uh, <laughs> so, um, but in the Michael Corleone, one of the best lines with Fredo is, you never take sides against the family. Yes. Okay, I've heard that line before. Yeah. Okay. This is the same exact thing. You never take sides against the organization. Okay. The correct answer to the question when they ask you about Francisco Lindor is that's not up to me. I'm confident we'll get, they'll get the deal done and Lindor will be here for however many years. But you never say anything like, well, they should pay him $400 million. Okay. Because you never know if that money that they pay Lindor is taken away from what you might get in the future. Yeah. So while I respect Pete Alonso, sometimes I find that he, he writes he, his mouth, he steps in it with his mouth more times than not. And while I love him and I love the fact he's a Met and I love his personality and everything like that, those are times where you have to just stand back and just say, you know, just you got to say what's the right thing to say. And the right thing to say is, look, that's between, you know, ownership and the player Mm-hmm. You know, I hope he's here for the next 15 years, but I'm sure they'll get something done. I'm pretty confident yeah. they'll get something done. Yeah, you don't, you don't throw out the question without being so blunt about it. Like, yeah, do we all agree that he, he we should give him whatever he wants? That's what I said. And I've said it multiple times on the show that if I was Steve Cohen, I'd be like, here's a blank check, Francisco. What do you want? That's what I would do. But again, but as a player, you don't. So if Francisco Lindor said he wanted $500 million, you give it to him? If I had $500 million, yeah. <laughs> you don't have $500 million. <laughs> no, but I mean, look. If I had $500 million, the A1 sports banner would be bigger than what it is on your wall. If I had $500 million, I wouldn't be, we wouldn't be doing this from, from our own homes. <laughs> We'd be doing it from like a mansion somewhere. And like, exactly. By our own, own damn studio if I have to. Yeah. So, look, I, like I said, I respect Pete Alonzo. I really do. But he's got to you, – you can't make shit like that public. Don't make that stuff vocal or whatever. 
Now, on a side note, I will be very quick about yesterday's game. The Mets fucked that up. Let's just get that out of the way right now. Mm -hmm. Okay? If you knew the weather was going to be all day raining, you call that game. You don't even think twice. Okay? Isn't that on the umps, though, to call it? Even Brian? Well, technically, it's on the team at first. Okay. The team makes the decision in the very beginning if they want to play the game, and then the home team does. And then once the game is started, the umps decide what they're going to do. Okay. Okay, whether it's going to be, well, fuck it, we'll just make it up, you know, regular nine-in game. Right. So Marcus Stroman was not wrong in what he said. The Mets have to start stop also getting into these brain fart moments that they get into. And the one thing that, like, I kind of accustomed to is when I worked in the hotel industry, I had a boss. My boss was one of the worst communicators of all time. Okay. He had years of experience. He's worked with numerous staffs, had no fucking clue how to communicate, had none, you know, it was almost like on a need to know basis. Okay. So when I would go to payroll and say, Hey, how many days off do I have left? I have to start putting my vacations together. They look at me and they go, why doesn't your boss tell you these things? <laughs> and I'm like, well, he doesn't tell me anything because it's not important to him, you know, and it wasn't. So the thing is, is that it's amazing how people in big positions that have Harvard business, Yale, Stanford educations, you know, no disrespect to Nassau Community College, but most general managers are not going there. Oh. They don't have just a degree from Nassau Community College. Although I'd like to think that people that go to Nassau Community College and get a degree there could run the team better than some of these jerk offs. Thank okay. you. I appreciate that. As a, as a Nassau, no, you're not though. I've met some okay. smart people who went to Nassau Community College, and it's, but it's like with some of the shit, it's like you don't really, you know, Harvard degree, Yale degrees. It doesn't. At the end of the day, it's first of all. Let me say something about Nassau Community College. It gets it gets a bad rap. It does. It's actually, a pretty good school. It's actually a pretty good school. It is. Okay, and I went there for two years, and like I. I loved it. I mean, I really, I mean, I did. I mean, it was, it gets a bad rap because anybody can get, go to community college. That's the reason why it gets a bad rap. But in reality, it's actually a very good school with a yeah, with not some good program, with some very good programs. Yeah. When I, when I graduated high school, I had Nassau was the furthest thing from my mind. I didn't want to go to Nassau. I was like, Ugh, like who wants to go there? Then when I got kicked out of my first school and I, I had to, was forced to go to Nassau, I was like, you know what? Not that I'll bad. Tell you, I'll tell you. Not a funny that story, bad. Right? So, you know this from going to Nassau. You have to take phys ed. Yep. You have to take a phys ed class. You have to take two phys ed classes. Oh yeah. So I took volleyball, right? Oh. When I was when I was there, right? Now, it was funny because it's only you only get a half credit for each one. Yeah. In phys ed class. So the coach that did volleyball was like this real like fucking drill sergeant, you know? And he was just like, he's like, listen, I could easily just throw out a bunch of volleyballs and you guys can play and be idiots and all that stuff, but then you wouldn't have any fun. He goes, so I'm going to teach you how to play volleyball. And when I teach you, then I'm going to set up games mm -hmm. and then you guys are going to play and then you'll see, like, you'll probably enjoy a lot more. Right. So we were kind of laughing and we were like, yeah, whatever, you know, blah, blah, blah. Dude, a week into class, we're fucking diving for balls on the hardwood gym floor. Okay. And I mean, like I had bruises on my elbow from like diving for balls. Like I almost ran into the freaking bleachers going for a ball. Right. Cause he was teaching us how to dive, how to, like he, he taught us everything. 
and we would get into these games and they were so cutthroat. Like all the other teams would be playing and me, like my team and this other team would be, we, were, we played a marathon game. And I remember like by the time we finished it, we just like passed out on the floor, like, cause we were, ex- <laughs> we were exhausted. No, people we go were hard, literally right? drained from playing and it was like hot in the gym and everything. But that coach was dead on accurate because I never had more fun in my life. Now, you, you want to know the gym class I took when I was at Nassau? Was like, bowling. Watching. Bowling. I knew because you're a pussy. Well, you was bowling good. was not bad at all. Bowling was real fun. And I actually learned a lot. Like, I know how to score bowling things now. Like, it's, it, it's like, I don't even need the computers. I can do it myself. Like, it, it was actually a really fun class. Yeah, you probably pulled, like, a fucking big Lebowski when you're like, over the line. <laughs> like, Although you, I doubt you pulled out a gun and said, you're entering a world of pain. I did not. No. But it was funny because me and my friend, this is when I used to smoke weed all the time. And we would, we would get high before class and go bowling. I mean, what, what's better than that? Hey, man, it's legal now. And now it is. Enjoy every minute. Enjoy every second of it. So, yeah. So that was that. But so, again, as I said before, the thing with the Mets is back to the Mets as we were talking as we took a major detour there. It goes back to executive decisions and you should know throughout the day, Hey man, there's a 70% chance of rain literally all day. Yeah. So I think we'll call this one because of that. Marcus Stroman can't pitch now. Now you guys got to pitch at the end of the week. Cause he already threw seven pitches. So you can't pitch him tomorrow. Right. Okay. That's why he was pissed and he had every right to be pissed. And he made a really good point. He said, you know, it's, it's an injury risk, not only to us, but to them, he was dead on. The only thing I don't like about Marcus Stroman's thing sometimes is just don't make shit like that public. But then when you look at it in hindsight, he wasn't wrong in what he said. No, he wasn't. And what, what he said, he, it's not like he really, you know, bashed the organization. He just basically came out and said, like, look, we should have never been out there. It's an injury risk to all the, all the players, the, us and the Marlins. It's, it's, the game should have never went, went off, you know. And that, that was the gist of what he said. He didn't really throw anyone under the bus, but it was just like, you know what? Yeah, he's not wrong. But again, now, according to the Luis Rojas, he said that they were talking to the grounds grounds crew and they had talked to a weather person and supposedly it was supposed to be like a very, very light rain, like a misty rain almost kind of thing. So you could play in that if you really wanted to, but turned out to be a lot worse. But whatever. The point is they should have probably just called the game. It's five games into the season. There's no reason to really play that game so quickly if you don't need to. Right. And if you're going to do shit like that, then you definitely sit Stroman and you just start Robert Gazelman, you know, so that way you don't have to worry about him pitching the next day. Right. All right. Next up memo to the Justin Fields lovers. You think, you know, but you have no idea. Yep. Now, what do I mean about that clip? You mean that, yeah, it may look good on paper, but we have no idea until he steps in the game. And we've seen that with plenty of college quarterbacks. And this even goes for Zach Wilson too. We, it's all good. In, it's all good on paper. It's all good on the game film. What what we've seen and everything, but until he plays, put until they put on that NFL uniform, you have no idea what he's going to be. And you're exactly right. And that's I couldn't agree. With, I couldn't agree with you more. And that's what my point was when I wrote that. The fact is, is that we don't know who will be better. Hmm. In my honest opinion, I don't think the Jets could do any wrong whether it's Zach Wilson or Justin Fields. 
because I think either one under Robert Sala and Mike LaFleur will do well. I won't go as far as saying they're going to be Pro Bowl quarterbacks and everything. I won't go that far. Okay. But I do think they will do well. I don't think they'll be disasters. I don't think they'll be, they won't be subject to no weapons or no game plan or anything like that. I think they will be prepared. Both of them. Mm -hmm. I prefer Zach Wilson over Justin Fields. And you know my reason. Mm -hmm. I simply don't trust Ohio State quarterbacks. I just don't. I think they're a product of the system. Fair enough. No, it really is fair enough because especially when you see it time and time and time again, it's, it, put, it puts a bad taste in your mouth. You know? And the thing with Justin Fields is, and this is what a lot of people get wrong is, I'm not saying Justin Fields can't do his reads at all, but he's never had to. Right. He's never had to go to his second and third options in games because when Ohio State plays – everybody that plays on Ohio state is like an all pro from whatever school they went to. Mm-hmm. So they recruit the best of the best. Right. So he doesn't have to do that more times than not. Okay. And in many ways it's very similar. I was actually, I forgot where I was watching this about Trevor Lawrence because somebody said the same thing about Trevor Lawrence too. Trevor Lawrence never really had to go multiple reads before he finally found a guy, you know, he didn't have to do that. So now listen, I'm not, by all means, Trevor Lawrence will be the number one overall pick regardless. So it doesn't matter. But that's why a lot of people like Zach Wilson, because Zach Wilson didn't have the same type of talent that Ohio State had, as well as Clemson. Mm -hmm. That's why a lot of people seem to like uh, Zach Wilson. You know, I always thought the reason why people like Zach Wilson more than Trevor Lawrence was because they knew Trevor Lawrence was going to Jacksonville. But when you get into the in-depth analysis, it's interesting. Now, at the end of the day, I'm fine with either one. Mm -hmm. I'm fine with Wilson, and I'm fine with Fields. Either one works for me. If Joe Douglas and Robert Sala and Michael Floor think Justin Fields is the better prospect of the two, who am I to tell them no? You want to hear a hot take I have? And I said this to my friends over the weekend. Go ahead. I like Mac Jones more than I like Fields and Wilson. Oh, get yeah. the fuck. Oh, yeah. no, I said it. I said it. I like Mac Jones. Why? Because Kyle Shanahan wants him? No, because I, I've what I've seen from, you know, the way he plays as a quarterback, yeah, he had Devonta Smith and uh and and uh, Wendell. Okay. Yeah, you got two you got two two of the top 10 players in the in, as your wide receivers. But the way he throws the ball, the way he consists himself as a quarterback, the way he is in the pocket, I, I liked everything about it. When I see Zach Wilson in the pocket. It's not a pocket program, though. It's not a pocket offense. He's not a, it's not supposed to be a pocket pass. So it's that like West Coast spread offense, and I get that. But That's I, why a lot of people felt that LaFleur's offense was good for Darnold. The problem is, is we just don't have the time to see if it does fit Darnold. Darnold's a fourth-year quarterback. We, we, the timelines are all screwed up. So that's why that was the main reason why I think that Sam Darnold got traded at the end of the day mm-hmm. was because new coach, new GM, new offensive coordinator, new quarterback. It's that's one on one. That's football one on one as far as I'm concerned. The thing is, I don't. Mac Jones is shooting up boards a lot quicker, which I'm not really a big fan of, and I think he's going to be probably the most overrated prospect out of out of all. 
No, I get it. I, I, I can see how it is. I just me personally. I, my friend, my friend, my, honestly, I told my friends this, and they were like, "Oh, you're crazy. You're, a, you're, a, you're like, think about it. You had if you're the San Francisco 49ers, I mean, you have to really, really love Mac Jones if you think that he is going to be the number three. You think he's basically the third best quarterback prospect in this draft. Mm-hmm. Okay, you have to really love Mac Jones. And the crazy thing about it is, is that you could most likely get Mac Jones later in the draft. That's why something tells me the Niners are going to draft Justin Fields, not Mac Jones. It makes sense to draft Justin Fields. You're talking about giving up two first-round picks to get Mac Jones, who you could have probably had at 12, or you could have easily just made that trade with the Eagles and gotten him at six. Yeah, you could have had that. Yeah, you could have I, easily. You could have had him at twelve. I don't. So, I don't know, man. Like I, I, I mean, I'd be, I'd be stunned if Shanahan takes Mac Jones. But then again, Kyle Shanahan is a pretty good, you know, guy with quarterbacks. So who am I to judge him on who he takes? Yeah. But a lot of people think they know about Justin Fields. And the other day, I heard again. This is where the we the Wilson versus Fields debate just gets tiresome. Rich Eisen on his podcast or his show, whatever it is, was basically saying, well, 1% of the Jets fans have seen BYU football, so they don't really know how good Zach Wilson is or whatever. True. And I know more times than not, though, that's because Ohio State is literally has every primetime slot you could possibly imagine. So, of course, more people are going to see Justin Fields over Zach Wilson. Mm -hmm. The thing is, is, Justin Fields can run a 4-4-40. But I am concerned about, you know, if he, you know, in the NFL, can he shake off that first read and find a tight end wide open? Or can he, you know, hit another receiver or check it down to a running back? Right. I don't know what he can do. So it's and I don't know what Zach Wilson can do. So I can't sit here and say, Zach Wilson is by far the most elite prospect. Mm-hmm. Okay. We don't know. And the problem with Jets Nation is is they are going to put an insane amount of pressure and unrealistic expectations on Zach Wilson in his rookie year. Yes. He's not the guy they wanted. Mm -hmm. They want Justin Fields. If the Jets draft Zach Wilson, I guarantee it. They will put the most ridiculous of expectations on this kid to be the savior of the franchise. And the minute he isn't, that's where you get the Twitter trolls and the Darnold defenders all over Twitter talking about, I can't believe we gave up Sam for him. He's terrible. He stinks and everything. Well, everyone will become a Monday morning quarterback when that happens. They're like, oh, we should have kept Sam. Oh, we should have drafted uh, Justin Fields. We should have done this. We should have done that. Yeah, in hindsight, yeah, maybe we should have done that. Maybe we should have done this. Maybe we should have done that. We don't know yet. But – there's no reason to come out and say you when 90% of this Jets franchise fan of fans wanted Zach Wilson. And that's a fact. You you call up you call up Michael K. But, show, but here's my problem. Everyone's everyone wants everyone wants him. My the, the people that defend Darnold up and down, why are Robert Sala and Michael Floor not allowed to pick their own quarterback? And I will tell you why. Ready? Mm-hmm. This fan base is still emotionally scarred from Adam Gase. Yes. They are emotionally scarred from Adam Gase. Okay. They don't trust this organization to make the right decisions anymore. And it's a fair point. Okay. It's a very fair point. I do give them, I understand where they're coming from. 
they are so emotionally scarred right now with Adam Gaze that they don't realize that they have something good right in front of them with Joe Douglas and Robert Sala. And even with Michael Floor, too. Like Joe Douglas is a guy that has a plan. He's a strategic general manager. He is not going to pull a McCagnan and start hemorrhaging money to players. He knows who he wants and he targets them and he goes and gets them. Okay. Case in point, we finally have what we think could be a good pass rusher in Carl Lawson. Mm-hmm. We finally have two receivers that made up the depth for our receiving core in Corey Davis and Keelan Cole. We have what we think is an underrated pass rusher in Sheldon Rankins outside of the injuries. We have another guy who's an underrated pass rusher in Vinnie Curry. And we have a running back that knows the offense very well in Tevin Coleman. Mm-hmm. Who is not going to take carries away from guys like Ty Johnson or Josh Adams or maybe LaMichael P. Ryan. Mm-hmm. Douglas has said from the get-go he wants to build this through the draft. And the fact that Douglas got three draft picks for, for Darnold, who had nine touchdowns and 11 interceptions last year, that's pretty good, man. It is, it is really good. And now, look, it ultimately depends on who he takes with those picks. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Agreed. But, like, again, the, the fact that, you know, he was able to get that much for Donald, and I knew I was right about this when I put it in my Jets group chat on Facebook, that I made a whole, I made this whole big thing. I was just like, you know, basically explaining how the trade was good, and literally no one commented on it. That's how I knew I was right, because usually when I write something on there, people love, like we mentioned earlier, love to troll me. They love to say all this shit. And I'm, by all means of the stretch, we don't, we're not Jets insiders. We don't know anything. We just give our opinions to everything, you know? Yeah, I mean, we have a little bit more of an insight because we talk to guys like Jake Asman, Daryl Slater, and all these guys. And- by the way, side note on Jake, I love Jake, but I have never seen a guy on a Texas radio station talk more Jets football than Jake Asman. So I love that he represents the green and white in Texas. Love it. New York, man. Every minute of it. He has everybody on from WFAN and stuff. It's it's great. Like, I love it. That's even with, like, with us, too. Like, yeah, we're Jets fans, but, like, there's nothing. The Giants are boring right now. There's nothing to talk about with the Giants. Like, listen, they've, they've made their moves. They don't have to do much more of anything else. The thing is, is that we just don't know. And we're never going to know for at least a few years. But we shouldn't sit here. And if Zach Wilson is not as good as Justin Fields, we shouldn't be like, oh, here we go once again. Because if you passed on any of these quarterbacks and Sam Darnold turns out to be better but not where you want him to be, mm-hmm. you're going to get screwed either way. It's a, it's a total lose-lose for Douglas. Oh, yeah, it is. Like and I've, to- I've told friends this. I've told my people I work with, I'm just like, if the Jets mess up this draft, especially the second overall pick, this will set them back for another five years. They cannot, they will not be able to recover from this for a while. But the funny thing about it is, is like when you, you know, like Samini, Samini's been very pro Darnold. Like mm-hmm. He thinks they should have traded Darnold and, you know, they shouldn't have traded Darnold. They should have traded the pick and gotten a whole bunch of picks around him to build around him. But he trolls like the Jets fans on Twitter by saying, you know, like putting up these random stats and he gets ripped by the fans. The thing with me is what I'm afraid of with this Jets base is that they are going to put these ridiculous expectations on Zach Wilson and he is not going to be able to meet them. Mm -hmm. 
he, the Jet Nation is going to be the Darnold defender is going to be expecting Zach Wilson to go like twelve and four in his first year. No, that it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. And that's every, and that's been every quarterback that we've drafted since, since probably Namath. That you know they come in and they've just been failed because the Jet fans expect these high expectations. Chad Pennington, Sanchez, Darnold, uh, Hackenberg to an extent. You know all these guys have a high, crazy expectations that they're they're going to be the ones to turn the Jets franchise around. They're going to be the next Joe Namath. They're going to be the next franchise quarterback for this team, and it's crazy expectations right out the bat. Now, here's the thing. If you thought that Donald was going to have pressure in New York, he's going to have a lot of pressure in Carolina. But you know who's under the most pressure in Carolina right now? Matt Rule. No. Ooh, Joe ooh. Brady. Joe Brady. Joe Money. The reason why I say Joe Brady is because he has to fix Darnold. It's not just about learning the offense. Mm -hmm. Okay. Because here's what a lot of people don't understand, right? Last year they had Teddy Bridgewater. They gave Teddy Bridgewater a three-year contract for over $60 million to be the starter. And while we sit here and talk about Joe Brady as this phenomenal offensive coordinator and everything, one guy brought up a really good point on Twitter. He said, for all the talk about Joe Brady being this great offensive coordinator and this great offensive mind, he didn't really do that much with Teddy Bridgewater. Uh -uh. Teddy Bridgewater was not a – he was basically the same type of quarterback. Yeah. Okay? He was a game manager, but they paid him over $20 million a year to be more than a game manager. Teddy couldn't hit the deep balls. Now, listen, maybe Sam, that's an advantage for Darnold. But there's going to be a ton of pressure on Joe Brady to turn Sam Darnold into a pro bowler. Because okay. if Sam Darnold starts with the Carolina Panthers and he basically finishes the season with similar stats to what he had in 2018 and maybe towards the end of 2019, mm -hmm. that's a fail in my opinion. That's not a pad. That, that doesn't give me optimism if I'm a Panthers fan that you can fix Sam Darnold. And what if Joe Brady gets a job as a head coach in 2022? It, I, I think that's more than likely going to happen that Joe Brady gets becomes a head coach by 2022 because he's usually he getting head coaching interviews this year. So the fact that, you know, say he does fix Sam a little bit. All right, fine. Fix Sam a little bit. Sam looks like a comparable quarterback. You know what Sam's going to have to go do again, run through another offensive coordinator and another QB coach potentially uh, on this team. That's what I'm just saying that like, listen, I'm just kind of keeping it real. And my thing is, is like, I think Darnold will be better, mm -hmm. but I don't know how much better. Right. And the thing is, is like, I, I can't possibly put expectations on Zach Wilson. He can't meet. Mm -hmm. Not in his first year. It definitely, it definitely not his first year. Right. But that's what people who are pro fields and people who are pro Donald are going to do to this kid. And they're waiting for him to fail so they can go on Twitter and go on Instagram and start bad mouthing the guy up and down. No, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. Zach Wilson will have. Or, Fields, whoever gets drafted to this team this year will have crazy expectation to expectations right out the gate. Now, piggybacking on my that last memo, I have a memo for Stephen A. Smith. And I pray to God he's watching. I really do. Because I knew he was going to go down this road and I knew he was going to play this bullshit with Justin Fields. And this is exactly what's wrong with a lot of sportscasters these days. When they, ex when they exhaust every option... They got to pick the next option that's going to ruffle a lot of feathers. Mm -hmm. So here's my memo to Stephen A. Smith regarding Justin Fields. Please stop 
playing the race card. Oh my God. Yes, please. I am tired of hearing it. I am tired of it. Okay. This is a lazy take on a young kid who you feel quite frankly is being persecuted by the rest of the NFL scouts and the NFL teams. Okay. Look, I'm not saying that Justin Wilson is the worst quarterback prospect in, out of all the five. I don't know who that is. You know, last year, Trey Lance sat out 2020. So to be brutally honest, Trey Lance would probably be my fifth worst mm -hmm. because he didn't play last year. He also plays at a very small school, North Dakota State. And we don't really know much about him. Mm -hmm. Okay. So there's that. After that, you can kind of pick and choose where you want to go with it. Me, I would probably do Lance, Jones, Fields, Wilson, Lawrence. Wilson and Fields, pretty close. One, I don't necessarily think is leaps and bounds better than the other one. Right. Okay. The problem I'm having is, is that now it's becoming a black thing. Oh, you know, we look at black quarterbacks differently than they do white quarterbacks and all this stuff. So, of course, it got a lot of the African-American fans on Twitter buzzing. Oh, my God, Stephen, you're totally right. No, he's not. He's wrong. He's wrong. Because you've got to stop playing this card. Every time you feel a guy is getting slighted, it's because he's black. It's because of his race. It's because of his skin color. Okay? When Eric Bieniemy didn't get a job last year, all of a sudden we started playing the card, you know, right away. It was here we are. It's a race thing. And NFL owners don't want to hire black coaches and they don't want to hire a guy like Eric Bieniemy. The truth is we don't really know why Eric Bieniemy is not getting hired. Mm -hmm. Okay. I mean, this is a guy that was interviewed by like 10 teams. Some teams I think interviewed him twice. Yeah. And he still didn't get the job. Yeah, and it's not so, you know, it's a thing. Here? Yeah, like it's it, like shit like this when Stephen A brings out this kind of stuff. It's not the kind of stuff you, we need in this country right now, you know. Like with all with everything going on between, you know, whites and African Americans and Asians and Hispanics, we don't need someone driving a stick right through the middle and be like, "Oh, he's not being driven because he's black. Or he's not doing it because he's white." Blah, 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 blah. We don't need that right now especially in this country because that's not the reason why justin fields is falling on the chart it's not the reason why that the jets are going to draft zach wilson over justin Fields. that's not the reason at all See, it was funny right that you need to put instead of being oh it's because he's african-american or it's i never that, like it's I, i'm gonna be honest Tom, i've never heard you know, when Geno Smith got drafted in the second round, I didn't see Stephen A. Smith coming out and saying, oh, my God, he was supposed to be a number one overall pick. That's because he's black, right? No, it's because we don't know what he is if he's a good quarterback. Yeah. Like, look at that. I mean, then I could easily argue, well, Aaron Rodgers should have been drafted second overall. He was drafted like 23rd, so he's white. Isn't it? Is, is that, you know, it's because he's white. You know, it's it's shit like that. Like Stephen A does that, and Rosenberg does it sometimes too on the Michael K show. And I I literally turn tired off, of hearing you know, it. This is a lame. It is a lame and tired take. Yeah. And it means you have nothing else to go on. So this is the only way you can go down to try to say that Fields is being screwed. Yeah, and okay? and again, now, every like, mock draft. Let me let me rephrase that. Not every mock draft, but I would say easily ninety five percent of the mock drafts that I've seen have Zach Wilson going second. And that was before the pro day. Right. That was before the pro day. 
Fields was like around some people had him in like four or five. Some people had him as low as 10. But my point is he's all over the place. Whereas Wilson has been that guy that's been pretty much the consensus number two overall pick more now because the Jets need a quarterback. Right. Okay. But I hate this. I hate when this becomes a race thing. Right. All right. And I'm sorry. There are just going to be times where they don't hire the black candidate. Does it happens? And I know what's happened more times than not. And that sounds like a very snide and patronizing take on it. But it is what it is. If I'm the owner of a team, I don't look at skin color when I look at my quarterback. I just look at the guy who I think can lead us better. Right. And I look, trust my GM. I trust my coaches. And I trust my scouts. No, you're absolutely Not right. the owner of the team. I don't know nearly as much as these guys. So these guys are going to tell me who they think is worth it. And more to the point, some of those scouts are black. Mm-hmm. So if a black scout is telling you that a black quarterback may not be that good, then where's the racism in that? No, you're absolutely right. And like, like you said, at the end of the day, it's their decision on who they want as their quarterback, who they want as their head coach and everything like that. And it's not, this is nothing against, you know, Justin Fields or any of the African or even Lamar Jackson a couple of years ago. Like this is not a black thing. It just comes down to, you know, the stats, the, what, what it comes down to is the numbers and everything like that, you know? It's it and when Stephen A. Smith does shit like that, it really fucking bothers me. It really does because it's like we it was almost he was also the same asshole who said when the Nets hired Steve Nash that it was considered white privilege. Like I he, should have hired Mark Jackson because you know Mark Jackson needs to get a job and all that stuff because you know and it's ridiculous that Mark Jackson got a job but Steve Nash doesn't. Like oh my god! Like, it, like it, yeah, it, I don't I, remember him running roughshod against the Knicks when they hired Derek Fisher, who had no coaching experience whatsoever. He was a black guy, so it's okay. He's black. It's perfectly fine. And this is where I'm kind of nervous, Clem. And not in a not in a bad way or anything like that, but sometimes I feel like teams may be pressured into hiring the black coach over the white coach because of the shit they're going to get after the fact. There's the Rooney rule now. Okay. Look, at the end of the day, if I'm the owner of the team, I get to hire whoever the fuck I want. Yeah. Okay. If I want to hire a guy, if I want to pick Zach Wilson to be my quarterback, fine. If you want to, if I want to pick Justin Fields to be my quarterback, fine. Okay. But it's always like, well, they look at it differently. They look at it, the fact that they can run and they can do this. Where, and I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? Like, like I said, they do thorough evaluations of every quarterback. Okay. And yeah, you know what? The issues with Justin Fields to me are concerning, just like there are concerning issues with Zach Wilson. There's concerning issues about every quarterback. Mm-hmm. Okay. But the same people who have the nerve to say, well, Zach Wilson stinks. Zach, I would rather have Justin Fields because Zach Wilson didn't really play anybody then I'm going to answer back and say, well, to be very blunt, the reason why I would want Zach Wilson is because quarterbacks haven't really succeeded very well from Ohio State in the NFL. Exactly. You, you, can, you can make excuses for, for anyone, you know, but it's not, it, when it comes down to, you know, drafting an African-American quarterback versus a white quarterback, 
it's not going to be, oh, it's because he's white and we're going to take him. Oh, and the African-American guy, we don't want him because it's, you know, they turn out blah, 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 shit like that. No, it's not that. It comes down to the numbers. It comes down to what the draft analysts see, what the scouts see, what the coaches want want in their offense, you know. And at the end of the day, if they want to draft fucking Justin Fields. Like I said, some of those scouts have 20 years of experience and some of them are black. Exactly. And like when shit, when Stephen A does this kind of shit, he drives the wedge in between for race baiting like this shit. It's not what this fucking country needs, as you can tell by what the hell is going on right now in this country. You but as you, but as you can it. see, but you know what, BC, what it does, though? It riles up people. It riles up people like you. It riles up people like me. And it riles up people from on, on the African-American side of his base. Because when you play that card, it means you have nothing else to play about the guy. Mm-hmm. You can't hold anything against Zach Wilson. You can't hold anything against, you know, there's not much to really say about Justin Fields. Mm-hmm. Okay. There are scouts that have, that just don't think he's good. Okay. Let him prove to the scouts, you made a mistake when you didn't draft me. Okay. Then I'll have a lot more respect for Justin Fields. And we'll put this race bullshit to rest. Yeah. Be be you know, be yeah, be Deshaun Watson prior to all these allegations. Be Patrick Mahomes. Remember be how Patrick Watson. Mahomes was rumored to go in like the twenties? Yeah, he wasn't rumored to go. He was rumored to go low in the draft. Exactly, he wasn't rumored to be a top ten quarterback. And I think in some ways, neither was Deshaun Watson. No, they weren't. You know, and the fact that they did go there and they did succeed, they proved it. And you know who they were? You know who was drafted before them? Jared Goff and Mitch Trubisky. They yeah. proved them wrong. Do when it comes to and then look at Lamar Jackson too. Lamar Jackson was picked thirty second overall. Was considered the fifth. Think best. about Lamar Jackson. Perfect example. Lamar Jackson, fifty percent passing. He barely hits fifty percent passing. Mm-hmm. Receivers don't want to go to Baltimore because they know they run the football all the time. They're a run heavy offense with Lamar Jackson as well as like J.K. Dobbins and Gus Edwards and whoever else. Mm-hmm. But they signed no receiver. The only receiver they signed this year was Sammy Watkins. No receivers want to go there. Yeah, because they know, and even last year, Hollywood Brown, when he came out after the end of the season, after Baltimore got eliminated, and he basically said, he goes, it's weird how we have like the top rushing attack in the league, but we're ranked almost dead last in the bottom. Yeah. You know? Again, but like when shit, when these announcers and radio broadcasters and all the, the, they do this race baiting, it really does bother me because it's not what we need. It's not what we came to listen to when we're listening to sports radio, when we want to read articles on sports. No, we want to read what your opinion is. We want to hear because you guys are the quote unquote experts. That's why you guys are hired by ESPN. See, like he didn't say it bluntly, but he's like, well, I got a few ideas why the guys, and I'm like, oh, I see what I mean. It's like, again, and it's just, it's tired. It's stale. The thing is, everybody views these guys a little differently has nothing to do with skin color. You need to stop making it that way. Because if somebody drafts Trey Lance fourth overall, that puts the fucking kibosh into your race argument. Yeah. Now, look, do I think Justin Fields should be drafted over Mac Jones? Yes. I think Justin Fields is a better quarterback than Mac Jones. Mm -hmm. Okay. Is he better than Trey Lance? Yes. But again, I don't know what teams think of what we're seeing here. Right. Okay. We don't know. I'm not saying he's not accurate. I think, he, you know, yeah, he's accurate at Ohio State. It doesn't take much to be an accurate quarterback at Ohio State. Mm-hmm. You know who else? You know what other school is not great at pumping out quarterbacks for the NFL? Yeah. USC. <laughs> and guess who went to USC? Sam Donald. Should I continue? They haven't had a, they haven't had a valuable NFL prospect since Carson Palmer. 
Wait, absolutely right. Even See, they, had, they had three, the last three that they've had. Ready? Besides Cody Kessler, because no one in Cody Kessler's defense, no one projected him that he was going to be a starter anyway. Okay. Sam Darnold, mm-hmm. Mark Sanchez, and Matt Liner. Oh, Matt Liner, my guy. Remember how Matt Liner was supposed to be this can't miss prospect? There was even rumors that the Jets were trying to trade back in, trade up to draft him when they, I forgot what year, I think that was the Golston draft. Oh, I think we were better. I don't, it was, I don't remember if it was the Golston draft or not, but it was the same as uh, Reggie Bush, so 06. So, no, we drafted Mangold. No, we drafted Ferguson. Right. But I remember that the Jets were supposedly like trying to trade back up when Matt Liner was still hanging around to take Matt Liner because they, were, they needed a quarterback. Yeah, because I think the Jets had the fourth overall pick. They took Ferguson, and they had the 30th and took Mangold. So it makes sense to try and move up because I think Liner went at eight to the Cardinals. And I Oh, my God. Liner was my guy. I loved Matt. And he was a bum. He was a bum. And he had the same problems that Sanchez had and Darnold had. Yep. The turnovers killed him. The Cardinals team wasn't that great around them. But, but still. Matt Liner – Mark Sanchez. Mark Sanchez was good for two years. And then after that, he completely crapped the bed the rest of his career. Then he was toiling around in Philadelphia, in Chicago, and all that stuff. Until finally, he just decided to call it a career. And recent, and listen, Sam Donald's only been in the league for four years. This is fourth year. So it's the jury's still out. But I'm just saying that you have to take that into consideration. Mm-hmm. Sometimes guys are a product of the system they play in. Now, hopefully, you you hope it translates well to the NFL. Yeah. But you've lost me the second you make it a race issue. I have a big problem with that. Because it tells me you have nothing else to stand on. That basically what you're trying to do is you're trying to ruffle feathers because you can't get people on your side to agree about Justin Fields. You want people on your side so you could sit there and say that Justin Fields is a better prospect than Zach Wilson. The truth is we have no idea. No one knows anything. Like here, prime example, too. Black quarterback who was mad good, who we thought was good, Jamarcus Russell. Yeah, drafted first overall, had a rush, had a run all the way to the top. I never heard white, white people complaining about white quarterbacks that year being drafted ahead of him. And what was he? He was a complete disaster. Yep, complete disaster. We will never know. Think, think about who was drafted a few years ago, number one overall, Kyler Murray. Yeah. I don't even know what Kyler Murray is. We don't know yet. Yeah, anything yet. The jury's still out on Kyle Murray. Yeah, he looks good for now, but let's see. It's only been two, three years now. But he's had a, for a number one overall pick, he's had a lot of stinkers. Yeah. Okay. We, and we, the team hasn't really been that, that yeah. much better under Kyle Murray. But it was the one thing I said about Sam Darnold, too. When you draft a quarterback number three overall, you shouldn't automatically have to surround the guy with all pro talent at every position. Mm-mm. Okay. He should be good enough to work his way around it. Right. Okay. And that's where I call bullshit on all these people that I've been seeing about during the week, like after the Darnold trade took place and all these people started coming out and they were saying, the guy's got tremendous work ethic. The guy's going to be great. I never personally saw that from Sam. (laughs) I know you didn't. I know no jet fan saw it because the minute Sam had a crappy game, it automatically went to blaming Adam Gates automatically to Adam Gates. It had nothing to do with Sam's crappy performance. Because call me crazy, but I highly doubt Adam Gates said, well, if he can't find anybody, just heave it in a direction and maybe somebody will get it. Okay? 
listen, I know Adam Gase is an idiot and he's not a good coach, but something tells me he didn't really do tell Sam to do that. Just a hunch. But again, I expect a quarterback when I draft him third overall to figure out a way to make it work. I agree he didn't have the best personnel around him. I agree his coaching was all over the place and pretty bad for the most part. But when I draft a quarterback number three overall, I need to see progress. No, you're absolutely I didn't see that with Sam. And for all those people that would write that he's got this tremendous work ethic, everybody loves him. I'm sure everybody loves him. I'm sure he's a great guy. But as for this tremendous work ethic, yeah, I didn't see that at all. Mm-mm. Okay, Because if he had such tremendous work ethic, he would have figured out how to fix the problems he was having, throwing it right to the defender. Exactly. Okay. He would figure out how to work with the receivers that he has. Okay. And that's all it takes sometimes. And he did not do that. So, yeah, I have a big problem with Sam Darnold in that, in that department. Just like I expect out of Kyler Murray, if you're a Cardinals fan, by now he should, he, he should be leading them to an 11-5 and five record. Right. An 8-8 eight and eight record for Arizona this year is unacceptable with Kyler Murray as your, as your quarterback, DeAndre Hopkins as your wide receiver, Christian Kirk as your wide receiver, and A.J. Green as your wide receiver. It is unacceptable in my opinion. Yeah, there's no excuses now for, for Kyler Murray. But that's what I say. But I'm tired of this card. I'm tired of the race card being played every time you're trying to make a point. Mm-hmm. Okay? Because this is all Stephen A. is good at doing. He's just good at being loud and reminding you that Justin Fields is black and that's why he's being, you know, he's being screwed by the system. It's annoying. It really is annoying. Okay. It's ridiculous. It needs to stop. Enough already. Enough. I've had it. Okay? If a team doesn't feel Justin Fields is a good quarterback or good enough to lead your offense, then I have to trust that then I would rather take the scouts' opinion more than anything. Mm-hmm. Nobody. Let me rephrase that. Very few people have projected Justin Fields to be the second best quarterback in this draft. After that, it's a crapshoot. Consensus is Zach Wilson. After that, it's anybody's guess. Me personally, if I'm the Niners, I'm not trading two first-round picks to go from 12 to 3 to take Mac Jones. Mm -hmm. So something tells me they're going to draft Justin Fields. Right. Whether he works out is another story. All right, more stuff on the draft. Memo to any team drafting in the top 10. Tread carefully before drafting Kyle Pitt. And I've read the scouting report. I've read everything. I've never read the scouting reports. I've read, basically read people's articles on the guy. I guess that's the closest thing I'm going to get to a scouting report. But here's my thing with Kyle Pitts. And it's not that I don't think he's a good player, a great player. But if I can't justify drafting him at, in the top 10 because he's a tight end. Yep. And if I'm drafting a guy in the top 10 – to be a receiving threat the way that people view him as, then I literally have to build my offense around the guy. Yes. Okay. I can't do that. So if the Falcons draft him fourth overall, if I'm drafting him fourth overall, he better literally put up a 1300 yard season. 
No, you're you're absolutely right. You can't take a non-premium position that high in the draft. It, it you just can't do it for especially guys like where you can find like. And I made this argument on Facebook all the time, and they were like, "Oh, he could be the next Rob Gronkowski. He can either be, be the next Travis Kelsey, George Kittle. Look how valuable they are as tight ends." I'm like, "Yeah, that's true," and I 100% agree with you that the tight end having a great tight end is good. But you just mentioned three tight ends who are probably the best tight ends in the past 10 years who are all drafted in the second round or later, which means you can find a good tight end anywhere in this draft. It doesn't have to be at the fourth overall pick. And right now, as as a, as much as I would like Kyle Pitts to be on the Jets, drafting him at two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, anywhere in the top 10, I would say, you can't do it. You just cannot do it as a team. Okay. So I'm pulling this up real quickly. So this year in 2020, no tight end was drafted in the first round. Okay. The first tight end that was drafted was Cole Komet from Notre Dame. Right. The Chicago. Okay. That was pick, uh, I think it was 43. So in 2019, you had two first round tight ends. Okay. You had TJ Hawkinson Mm -hmm. and you had Noah Fant. Those are your first two. After that, the next tight end that was taken was Irv Smith Jr. in the second round at 50. In 2018, you had Hayden Hurst, okay? Pick number 25. After that, I could easily argue that Mark Andrews, taken in the third round, did better than Hayden Hurst. Oh, he absolutely does. Okay? 2017, Clem, three tight ends taken in the first round. O.J. Howard, Evan Engram, David Njoku. Okay? So, looking at TJ Hawkinson, I'm going to pull up his stats right now while I'm, while I'm here. TJ Hawkinson, last year, 2020, 67 catches, 723 yards, six touchdowns. That is not worth a top 10 pick. Nope. Okay. 2019, 32 catches. That was a rookie season, so we let that go. Okay. Noah Fant, stats. Okay. 2020, Noah Fant, 62 catches, 673 yards, three touchdowns. Okay. The year before that, 40 catches, 562 yards, and three touchdowns. Mm-hmm. Okay. I mean, we could go on and on. I mean, here, O.J. Howard, who was, who was very similarly scouted like Kyle Pitts is right now. I must have heard the term matchup nightmare like a hundred times for OJ Howard, just as much as I did. 2017, he was drafted. 432 yards, six touchdowns. 2018, 565 yards, five touchdowns. 2019, 459 yards, one touchdown. 2020, only played in four games. One start. 11 catches, 146 yards, two touchdowns. Now, granted, a lot of these guys were picked in the lower of the first round, so maybe it's not so terrible. Mm-hmm. But you're talking about wasting a first-round pick on a guy who is not a wide receiver. He is still a tight end. And most teams do not build their offenses around the tight end. No, you're absolutely right. And to take a tight end that high – look, I just looked at the over the past 20 years, there were only three guys drafted at the top 10 in tight ends. It was Vernon Davis – Kellen Winslow, 
and TJ Hawkinson. Vernon Davis, great tight end. Obviously, we know he's, he's one of the best tight ends to ever do the game. But like I mentioned, the past 10 years, look at some of the top tight ends in this league. Gronk, uh, George Kittle, Travis Kelsey. Yeah. All drafted in the second round or later. You draft a you draft a tight end in the top ten, top fifteen, more no or less. It's a waste of a draft pick. And I I like Kyle Pitts. I really like him a lot, and I think he's going to be great in the NFL. But I cannot justify drafting him in the top ten overall. Just can't do it if I was the if I was a GM. Like, listen, a lot of people say, well, the Jets should have drafted him number two overall, and then he could have kept Sam. And I'm like, you can't justify drafting this kid number two overall. Yeah. And the thing is, for an offense like the Jets, who's never really been – tight end has never been their strength. No. I mean, like – I mean, just think about it. If you go into – let's see. Hold on one second. Twenty twenty tight end stats from last year, okay? Now, of course, outside of Travis Kelsey, who was in the kind of a league of his own, all right? And Darren Waller – Darren Waller was the second best receiver, okay? Played 15 games. He had 52 catches or whatever. This is not really in any type of order. So I think it, this is oh, – okay, now I see it. It's based on, like, fantasy points per game. Those are the only two tight ends that over 1,000 yards last year. The only two. The next one, if I'm looking at this right, and I could be wrong, that was the best receiver was TJ Hawkinson at 723 receiving yards. Okay. Travis Kelsey at 1,400 yards. Darren Waller, 1196. Okay. But, I mean, are you drafting a guy fourth or fifth overall to be a 700-yard receiver for the season? No. That's my point, man. That's why, like, while I love I, – I, Kyle Pitts will be a great player, but I can't justify a top-five pick on the guy. No way could I ever trust – could I ever do that. No, you don't you, think defenses are going to scheme for him? You don't think that defense is going to figure out where you're going with him? I, I just can't. Like, I just can't. No, and you look, like you mentioned, Darren Waller is another prime example. You know what you want to know when he was drafted? The sixth round. Yeah. Like, I just can't – like, listen, you want to waste a mid-round pick on the guy, fine. You want him, you know, or bottom first round or whatever, I could never justify a top 10 pick on Kyle Pitts. Can't. And because if, God forbid, you fuck up that pick, no matter what team you're the Jets, the Falcons, the Dolphins, the, the Giants, the Cowboys, Eagles, whoever you are, you will be ridiculed for the next five to ten years, you know? And, like, it's just crazy. You know, we just have – one of the comments, Steven, you know, one of our former guests we had on, Cowboy fan. Mm-hmm. He said, unfortunately, if he's at 10, I think the Cowboys will likely take him. Oh, you know who wants him at 10? Mike Guido. Mike Guido is like, we have to take him. He's going to be a Hall of Famer and everything. No, you don't have to take him because this is exactly what gets the Cowboys in trouble. Yep. Because the Cowboys fall in love with these guys. So if you mean to tell me that the Dallas Cowboys cannot put an offense together – around Amari Cooper, Michael Gallup, C.D. Lamb, Ezekiel Elliott, and you actually have a very a fairly underrated tight end in Dalton Schultz. If you can't put an offense like that together, dude, the Cowboys have serious problems. Trust me when I tell you the Cowboys do not need Kyle Pitts. No, they don't. They need, they need to go defense, and like Stephen is saying in our comments right now, he'd rather them taking Patrick Certain or Jace Holmes. Yes. 
Absolutely, they should they take gotta go, they gotta go or J.C. Horn. I totally agree. Corner. Like, Jerry Jones does not draft for, like, need anymore. It's just like, well, I love this guy, so I'm going to draft him. Yeah. You know, like, you didn't need C.D. Lamb last year, but at the time, I guess the pick made sense because they were picking low in the draft. But now you're a top 10 pick. You can't mess up that pick, man. You can't mess up that pick. All right, so real quickly, memo to the Detroit Lions. If you have the opportunity to draft a QB at seven, take the plunge. You remember when I said this last year, Clem? Yes, I do. I said that the Lions should have drafted Tua, let him sit behind Stafford, and then have Tua go into the year as the starter. And instead they went with Okuda. Now, look, at the end of the day, I could, I'm probably wrong about Tua. I don't know if Tua is going to be like anything special. But again, the jury's still out. I will not rule, I will not say he's damaged goods after one year. Mm-hmm. The thing is, is Jared Goff is not your long-term answer at quarterback. He's basically a means to an end until you get the young guy that you want to get. Now, look, the Lions could address quarterback in like the second or third round this year. They could draft Kellen Mond from Texas A&M, who seems to be really going up, you know, boards. This kid from Stanford, who for some reason, you know, I forgot his name, Davis something, is supposed to be apparently really good. He might sneak in as a bottom of the first round selection. Kyle Trask is another guy that people seem to like, but we don't really know what he is. I think the Lions are not going to be a very good team next year anyway. I know the thing might be, well, draft Jamar Chase, you know, which fine. That makes sense. I'm not saying it's not, not wrong. I mean, I think it'll be a solid pick either way, but Goff is not your long-term answer. Mm-hmm. You got to find your long-term answer. And this is a draft where you can find it. And honestly, if Fields is available at seven, I would take Fields. I would totally take Fields and let him sit behind I don't, Goff for a year. I don't disagree with you that, yeah, Jared Goff is, is the long-term answer, but I feel like they have more holes that they need to worry about right now than quarterback. Maybe drafting a guy like Kellen Mond, like you said, in the second round, or a guy like Kyle Trask to sit behind, behind Goff. Then, then yeah, but at, at seventh overall, I can't, I can't see them taking a quarterback when they have more holes to, to fill other than quarterback. That's fine. Listen, I would prefer them to draft defense. I think defense would be the way to go. You know, but the problem is the defensive market isn't really that strong because it, it's, you know, this is really an offense. The first 10 picks are going to be mostly offense from what I'm seeing. And all the mock drafts I've seen, the first defensive guy doesn't go to like 12. Right. You know, and I think it's Micah Parsons. So I don't really know what people, teams are thinking. So I can't, you know, I've said I can't really, can't predict it. But mm. I think right now you have a very good quarterback class this year. You have a shitty quarterback class next year. I would go for the quarterback now. And if you're in the top five next year, then you can really build this team correctly. You have multiple first round picks the next few years. Mm-hmm. So why not take the plunge and do it? All right. Memo to former Jets players. It's time to turn the page. Move on from your Adam Gase obsession. Okay. Yo, if I see one more Jets player babble on and on about Gase, first of all, let me just say one thing. This guy's living rent-free in these guys' heads. Oh, yeah. Okay. In Robbie's head, in Jamal Adams' head, He's living rent free and he don't give a shit. 
He does not give a shit. Okay. On a piggybacking note to the Jet fans, you need to get over your gay obsession and embrace the new regime of Salah and LaFleur and Douglas. Robbie Anderson was on a podcast last week on Willie Colon's podcast and was kind of going on and on about Gase, about how, you know, he didn't want to win. And this is shit we knew already. This is stuff we already knew. The funny thing about it is, is if you're so happy in Carolina, then why are you talking about it now? Why are you still talking about Adam Gase? Why can't the former Jets players like Jamal Adams and Robbie Anderson move on? Why can't Jet fans move on? Right. Okay. Like he has literally left these guys emotionally scarred. And he doesn't care. So why should you? He's he's done. He's gone. He's never going to coach again in the NFL. He's done. Maybe he gets a job as like a wide receiver coach or something like that. But what what would like? Why do you have to keep talking about this? Yeah, exactly. There's no need. Like you said, he's living rent free in their because basically what's happening right now is is that he's turning around and basically saying. Yeah, you know, I was a shitty coach, but it's all done now. But then meanwhile, fans were clamoring to get rid of the guy. You finally get rid of the guy, and you're still talking about him. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, it's time to turn the page, man. Okay. I don't want to hear about Robbie Anderson anymore. I'm, I'm glad he's doing well in Carolina. I don't want to hear about Jamal anymore. I don't want to hear about, you know, Sam Darnold now. We've moved on. It's time to move on. You know? Mm-hmm. It was just like, you ever, like we talked before earlier in the show about Lennon, mm-hmm. David Lennon. The minute Steven Matz had two good games, here he is tweeting the stats. Right off the bat, tweeting the stats of, Dave, of Steven Matz. I mean, come on, dude. It's time. Turn the page. Time to move on. And there you go. All right, no more memos. Let's finish up the show talking about WrestleMania, as I know you look fired up, right? Okay. So here, the good, the bad, and the ugly about night one of WrestleMania. The good, Bianca Belair match was great. Very good. That's really better. And, dude, did you see the wealth on Sasha Banks' side from the uh, – well, Like – I didn't even need – I wonder if that needed stitches. Dude, that like, was bad. Like, <laughs> I, 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 I love when people say, oh, wrestling's fake, wrestling's this, wrestling that. That's Bianca's real hair. Well, not real hair. It's extended, obviously. But that's real. And that was a real whip to the to the abs side, whatever you want to call it. Listen, and, if you've ever taken a towel and, like, hit somebody with it, you hit them hard enough, you're going to leave a mark. Oh, yeah. So imagine what a long braid of hair that probably fairly heavy, mind you, is going to do to your rib when it gets hit at full velocity. Right. From somebody else. But that being said, the match was great. Like, I couldn't have asked for a better match. I love that Reginald didn't get involved. I love that they just had a brawl. They had a big, you know, they had a fight for the title. And Bianca Belair won. And one thing that was really cool, somebody put this on Twitter, that right after Belair won the belt, Sasha Banks was seen on, like, the side, mm-hmm. outside the ring. And she was trying to sell her injuries but she was really happy for Bianca Belair. So she couldn't really sell her injuries too much because she was too busy being happy and like kind of emotionally happy for Bianca Belair winning the belt. 
If somebody put a video, it was very cool, like what they put on Twitter. It was very, very cool. Um, the Rollins-Cesaro match was really good. I thought that was really, really well done. I was glad Cesaro won. Hopefully it's the beginning of putting him over into bigger feuds, maybe maybe a championship feud at some point. It'd be pretty cool to see him feud with Reigns. Look, I'm all in you know? for the Cesaro push. Give me Cesaro all the time. And it, like, it's about time. It's, it's about time you gave this guy a push. He deserves it. Yeah, you know, the guy's busted his ass for your for your federation for a long time. And people, you know, they thought he was going to get pushed when he originally won the Andre the Battle Royal, uh, well, like six years ago, and he never did. And the fact that he put on this amazing match, which is arguably match of the weekend, mm-hmm. like it just shows that Cesaro is one of the most underutilized guys in this company. All right, the other one I put under good for night one is Lashley McIntyre, for the most part, was a good match. I was okay with Lashley winning, winning, you know, retaining. I think McIntyre could have had his WrestleMania moment that he didn't get last year when it was at the Performance Center. Mm-hmm. The only thing I didn't like about the match was, was when MVP interfered. I thought it just, you know, it knocked it down a peg for me. But overall, the match was pretty good. No, I get it. And I, I said this to my, my friends, too. I was like, look, I, I have no problems if Bobby wins and I have no problems if Drew loses. But here, here was my prediction. I was like... If Bobby and Drew go on first, Bobby wins. But if Bobby and Drew main event, because then you're doing Drew the justice by getting him that win in front of all those fans for the main event. And if they did that, that then I would have had Drew win. But the fact that I basically was, they started off the match, I was like, okay, Bobby's going to win this no matter what, I think. So there was that. Now the bad. Um, the McMahon-Strowman match was ridiculous. Oh. But the thing I hated the most about it is I don't need Strowman doing a PSA on bullying during the match and this is for all the people who, who, you know, get called stupid. You know, I get called stupid by my wife every day. Okay, so is Braun Strowman winning that match for me? You. He did it for you. Yeah, I'm, I hope he did. Because <laughs> he sure as hell wasn't looking into the camera when he said it. So he was his back was turned the whole time. But it was just like, again, it's just like, you know, Shane McMahon can't wrestle. It's just the usual, okay, I'm going to do, since it's a steel cage match, I can't jump off the cage onto the table. Yeah, I'm gonna do my coast to coast, and that's the only thing Shane did. But hey, what was what was those two sacks that were just because that because that's always yeah, I, didn't, I didn't get that either. I didn't understand why that was there, and it was just like it was just the whole thing was just done very poorly. And again, it's just a weird reason to get Shane on to WrestleMania every year. It's almost like the new streak, right? So the Undertaker had his streak. By the way, finally sat down to watch the last ride. Oh. Uh, about time. I'm almost done. I have I have to watch the last episode, but it was it's really good. It is the backstage stuff. I love the backstage stuff, so that's like what did it for me. Although I will say that I think Michelle McCool comes off a little bitchy on the show. Like she doesn't seem like like the most the nicest person in the world kind of thing. But you know whatever. I'll that's just my opinion. But getting back to the match, but it was just the same tired match. It was just the same thing over and over. It was just about proving Braun dumb. Or something like that. And it, it, the whole thing was booked poorly. And it was just some weird way. But I think now they should have a Shane streak. Because he never wins a Mania. No, he they do like They should put just for fun and shits and giggles. I would do like 0-5. <laughs> and every year just keep doing it. Until he eventually decides not to wrestle anymore. It's like, But that match it was like you knew what was going to happen. You knew Shane was going to do a coast to coast. You knew Shane was going to get uh, uh, jump off. And get thrown off from the top of the cell. You knew Braun was going to win. Yeah, like you knew all that stuff was going to happen. Yeah, sure, it's cool when Shane jumps off the top of the cell. And I will say, Braun ripping the cage open was pretty cool. But other than that, the match stunk. 
All right. The other thing that I thought was bad about night one was the Styles Omos tag team match. Because I'm going to be very honest. Omos, we don't even know if he can wrestle. So he's just some big seven footer. The weird thing about the match, and I don't know if you kind of picked up on it, mm-hmm. was did you get a vibe that the New Day started out as the faces, but they eventually became the heels? Well, the I, th- I think people were just so excited to see almost finally get in the ring and wrestle. Well, wrestle, quote unquote. But the thing was, you, these are the 11-time tag team champions of New Day. And Omas comes in. They can't get any offense on him, which is expected because they're, they're so tiny. But I thought it was so freaking corny that, number one, the New Day dropped the belts to them. And number two, Omas put his foot on top of Kofi for the pin. Right. Which I think is a huge slap in the face to the New Day because they're 11-time tag team champions. You mean to tell me they can't get out of that? Yeah. So... And once again, the New Day got screwed. So I'm not crazy, but this is exactly the problem with tag team wrestling in WWE. They don't take it seriously. It's not It's not a very serious draw. Yeah, bad. And, you know, speaking of tag team wrestling, what I didn't like about night one was that dumb turmoil match. Oh, I'm getting to that. The ugly. Oh, yeah. This is the ugly. Okay. First of all, not that any of the women were ugly in this match. I'm just saying the ugliness of the match. Okay, where do I begin with this? Oh, where do you begin? Okay. Um, the fact that they put Billy Kay and Carmella together just to like, just like, okay, we're just going to put you guys together because we have nothing for you for Mania, so you're going to have to be a tag team. Carmella, I guess, dropped the conceited bitch gimmick and now is back to her Mella is money gimmick. Okay, so does that mean she's a face again or a heel? Because no one really knows. Billy Kay did what Billy Kay does. She's a terrible wrestler, but she's good for comic relief. So you give her for that. A lot of people thought Lana and Naomi were going to win this match. I am glad they were the first team eliminated, even though my daughter loves Naomi. All right. So there was that. The one true tag team that should have won it, which is the Riot Squad, they're the only true tag team you have in the women's division anyway. Mm. They lose to Natalia and Tamina, a team you put together a month ago as these angry veterans, right, who can't get a break, have had enough or whatever. The Riot Squad got the biggest pop out of everybody. And when Tamina and Natalia won, silence. Nobody, nobody cared. I don't even like the fact that they even won in general. Like I predicted that it would be Lana and Naomi because Lana has been like the pet, the big storyline for Lana the past six months is like, Oh, Lana deserves it. Lana's getting beat up, blah, 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 all this shit. So I at least expected Lana and Naomi to win. And the fact that when they came out first, I was like, Oh, they're just going to run through everyone and make them look great for tomorrow night. The fact that they lost one, I was like, what the hell is going on here? And then yeah. they had, and then they had live and live and Ruby win two matches. I'm like, Oh, I really thought I really thought that I really thought they were going to win and they should have won. It's time to change the belts. It's time to give, you know, I don't want to see Nia Jax and Shayna Baszler as the tag team champions anymore. I don't even think they're good tag team champions. Okay. But it's like, you could have easily given it to Ruby and Liv and let them, you know, run with it for a while, like to finally get some gold and because they are a true tag team. And again, the more you bury the riot squad, the more that they, when it finally comes time for them to win the belts, it's just going to be like a meh, because nobody's going to care. Yeah, like I have, 
Like I was so like even like I said like last night they beat the two they beat uh but the wrestling was bad. The wrestling in the the turmoil match was bad. Okay. You had a nip slip thanks to Dana Brooke. You had Mandy Rose fall on her ass walking down the aisle. And oh by the way, you had the ring announcer get it wrong when the riot squad pinned um Mandy Rose and Dana Brooke. Oh yeah. Okay. That match was a complete shit show that was a match you could have had either on smackdown or you could have had it on on the pre-show if you actually did a pre-show but you didn't do a pre-show okay but making it worse is the next night the Shayna baszler match wasn't really very good and and like so how do you build a heel versus heel match well did you notice throughout the match that natalia and tamina all of a sudden became the faces yes all of a sudden natalia was trying to get the crowd fired up She's pointing to Tamina like, oh, you want her to tag and all that stuff, kind of like trying to get the crowd riled up. It was weird. It they was, put this whole thing like really, really weird. It was it was not good at all. And then like like you met like you have Natalia and Tamina win the turmoil. It's like, okay, you think they're gonna win tomorrow night then at least. And no, they don't. So like it's like what the hell was the point of this then? If they weren't gonna win at media, what was the point of it? It was just a disappointing thing. Like I, I just wasn't crazy about night one and then the worst part was, did you see the Hall of Fame part? Which one? Which which uh, the first um, night when the NWO came out at the end? Mm-hmm. Did you see like Scott Hall look like he was stumbling a little bit? Yo, it's funny. I had I'm watching. We I went upstate for the weekend and we were watching it Saturday night. And I had my I was watching with my friends and some of my friends they never watch wrestling in the world. And Scott Hall comes out and they're like, "Is that guy on like drunk or like drunk?" Yeah, he like <laughs> he was like he kind of stumbled, and it was funny because when they were trying to do like the arm movement to get Hogan out, mm-hmm. it literally looked like they took them like a couple of minutes to get their arms up to do it. You know, they, they, he did not look good at all. But night one was just uh, it was okay. It was okay. it was good. Now night two, the good. I thought the best match of the night, actually, there were two matches I was really, really impressed with. I was surprised at how much I liked them. Number one, Sheamus and Riddle. Number yeah. two, Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn. Yes. And the reason why I liked Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn was because they just let him wrestle. And Logan Paul didn't like run in to interfere or some bullshit. He just sat there. Yeah. Which kind of, I didn't understand the point of him being there, but fine. But Owens and Sami Zayn just had a drag out wrestling match and it was really good. And the same thing with Riddle and Sheamus. And when Sheamus caught Riddle with that broad kick off the moonsault, that was good. You no, know he hit him hard because Riddle's oh, yeah. mouth was busted pretty bad. Oh yeah, he no, he definitely like actually kicked him in the face. Like that was there was no way he didn't. And again, I was actually you know stunned, not stunned because every time Matt Riddle wrestles, he puts on a great. He may he may sound like an idiot in like when he does the promos, but when he gets in the ring, he does very good work. And the fact that they were able to put that kind of a match on was very fantastic between Sheamus and and uh, matches. I thought those two matches were really good. I thought the championship match was really good. My issue with the championship match was twofold. Number one, the interference from Jey Uso twice, where he got his ass kicked twice, mm-hmm. and number two the whole controversy thing. Cause now we have to wait till Friday to get this all figured out. Yeah. It's not like it's going to be tonight on Monday night raw. It's going to be Friday on SmackDown. Yeah. You got to literally wait six days before you finally get to SmackDown to find out. And the thing is, is like now it's just going to happen is it's going to, this feud is going to be dragged out for another few weeks until you get to 
whatever it is, Backlash or whatever the next one is. And it's called WrestleMania Backlash, which probably means it's going to be nothing but repeat. Okay. So there's that problem. Um, The match, the match with um, Apollo Crews and Big E, not a bad match. But the Nigerian drum match was basically just a no-holds-barred match with drums on the side of the ring. They didn't even use the drums. <laughs> they used the gong. That was the only thing they used. Yeah. It was like, what the hell was the point of that then? Like, So the best part about it was, after all that match, here comes fucking Dabakato. And the best part about it is, the announcers act like they don't know who he is. Mm-hmm. Everybody knew who he was. And even WWE's Twitter page goes... Who is this guy with big question marks everywhere? And some guy wrote back, really? <laughs> like, you don't know who he is? Like, I mean, it was pretty crazy, right? Like, it's not like, like, and I was listening to the What's Wrong Wrestling guys about it because I subscribed to their Patreon. I was listening to their, their WrestleMania recap, and they were like, they didn't even, like, change him up, put a mask on him, like, dye his they hair. Had him come out looking like, like, yeah, they had him come out looking like Sergeant Slaughter. Yeah, that's supposed to be his new gimmick. And I was like, see what I mean, though? It's like, why does this guy have to interfere in the match? Like, why can't you just have a freaking no holds bar match between two guys who hate each other and just let them beat the shit out of each other? And whoever wins, wins. The minute you have interference that doesn't make any sense to me, it kills the momentum of the entire match. So the thing is, so what is Dabakato going to do now? He's just going to stand next to Apollo Crews every Friday night and he's never going to wrestle and every time Big E tries to wrestle Apollo Crews, then he's just going to interfere at the end. I mean, it's it's ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, I, I like the fact that Apollo Crews got the um, won the title. I'm okay with that. Now, I would be more into that if Big E was being pumped up for a title defense, like a heavyweight title run. Right. Or he was going to be thrown into the picture, but it doesn't seem like that's going to be the case now because now this Edge Reigns feud is going to extend for another month at least before you finally get to the next thing. No, yeah, yeah, exactly. Like this, like I would love to see Big E in the main title picture. I think he deserves it. He does great work. Now the rest of it, the rest of it, really quickly. I I hope I never have to see another Fiend Orton match again. I just hope I don't. Now, the Fiend stuff was cool, like the Jack in the Box, and anything Alexa Bliss does is money, as far as I'm concerned. Because she, this has been, bless you, this has arguably been. This has arguably been her best work as like, you know, but again, it was just like the match goes on. It's a bullshit five minute match. And it ends with the fiend looking at what we think is sister Abigail. And to me, it was just like, and then Orton does an RKO and wins the match. And I'm like, Hey, see what I mean? It took 20 minutes to get this all shit together. And then five minutes for this match, the match was bad. It was, yeah, it was not good. Like again, you ruin the fiend. You keep fucking ruining the fiend. The fiend, the fiend was ruined when Goldberg beat him. But I was like, I texted my friends. I was like, hey, remember when Seth Rollins like hit him with seven curb stomps and he kicked out after one? Yeah. And but he takes one RKO and oh, that's it. Yeah, that's um, it. Meanwhile, he gets dumped on the table and he sits up straight like it didn't bother. I mean, what the fuck? Like it, like it makes no fucking sense. Like, and the thing is, like, blit, like. I thought it was a cool thing, but it just didn't make any sense. And it was just really confusing. And now moving forward, I don't really know how they're going to book The Fiend. Yeah, I knew. I, I, the thing about The Fiend is he's kind of be caught between a rock and a hard place, right? Mm-hmm. Because he's a main eventer. 
but he's only for specific main eventers. And the thing is, you can't book him for a title run right now, a title feud, because he just lost to Orton at Mania. Right. So it's like, it's really tough to book him, but you can't book him against a guy like Sheamus. You can't book him against a guy like a mid-card guy. No, you can't. He, 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 he... Like, honestly, you know who I would book him against? Swear to God. Next feud, McIntyre. I would book him in a, in a feud with McIntyre if he wanted to go down that road. Because we don't know what the Fiend is. Is he a good guy or a bad guy? But he's tough to book. And the thing is, if he keeps losing, he's pretty worthless at that point. No, yeah, exactly. If he keeps losing, it means nothing. But, like, originally when you had the Fiend come out, this that was easily the best gimmick you could have had in the company, all this stuff. And they ruined him so quickly. It's like, what the yeah. hell? Rumor for Raw tonight is there's going to be a triple threat match to determine who the number one contender is, although they're from Lashley, but they're not saying who's in the match. So I can only assume McIntyre is one of those guys. Probably McIntyre, Orton, and... Ah, contraire. Apparently Orton is taking time off. So I don't know if he's going to be, I know, I don't know if he's going to be on raw. Well-deserved time off then. So um, what were the other matches real quickly? Um, The Oscar Ripley match again. Okay. I felt like it was rushed. Yeah. The ending was rushed. Like it felt like it went from submission, submission to Ripley does her finisher done match over. You know, that doesn't, that doesn't do anything for me. And I mean, listen, I know I'm being very nitpicky about these types of things, but to be very honest, like these are things that like, you know, like Keith and I got to a huge argument this morning because he was like, he's like, well, you're never going to be happy if all you do is complain about the product. I'm like, but if it's done properly, it will be really good. This is WrestleMania. Yeah. This is like the biggest event. This is how I equate WrestleMania. Ready? WrestleMania is the end of the, like the equivalent of the Super Bowl. Yeah. It's the end of the league year. And the day after on Monday Night Raw is the start of the new league year, which means you have the new feuds, you know, new matches, try to figure out, you know, maybe tonight would be a good time to get if Adam Cole comes up to the main roster or whoever comes up to the main roster, Io Shirai, for example. Maybe Io Shirai comes out and challenges Rhea Ripley or something like that. Right. Okay. Those are the things that I look forward to. But the problem is, is that now with so many pay-per-views, you have built up, you're just going to have the same views for the next month. Right. So to me, that just bothers me. No, you're absolutely right. You ran the same, you ran the same controversy feud at uh, Fastlane with Daniel Bryan. That now you have another controversy with Edge. We don't know who pinned Bryan first, but it looks like it was Edge. And that's what that's is all, and it's going to drag out for another month. It's so, yeah, it's 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 annoying. Like this should be like the end all be all. Okay, new season starts tonight, Monday Night Raw. New feuds, new people coming up, new etc. All this new shit. But the fact that it's not going to be, and we get the the WrestleMania backlash, we're going to see rematches at backlash, which is going to be a pain in the fucking ass. And one thing I would say, like on one thing I would say is like tonight would be a cool night. Like, I hope Lashley holds on to the belt for a little while. Same. Because I want Lashley Lesnar at SummerSlam. Yes. You've been building it up. You were going to build it up last year to this year. I want Lashley against Lesnar at SummerSlam. Okay. The ugliest part about the whole thing with WrestleMania this weekend, I, I like, they really need to stop doing this. You got to stop with the hosts. Oh, my God. You got to so- stop with Titus, like, with hosts. I, I, I can't stand it. I've had enough. 
Like last night you had Hogan, and then on night two you have Hogan and Titus coming out in freaking costumes, in pirate costumes. Bro, I, 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 I was like, this is disgusting. I just looked uncomfortable on Saturday because you know with Hogan the whole racist, the racism stories and all that stuff. You Titus looked a little uncomfortable at first, but it's like it does absolutely nothing. Like it does nothing for your show, nothing, absolutely nothing. But it's like you've been without an audience for a year. For a year, you've been out without an audience. Right. And I'm sorry, but this was the best you could do. And half of those matches didn't even need to be on Mania. Half of those matches are SmackDown matches or Raw matches. They're not Mania matches. It was just, again, just, I thought, I, overall, I thought it was an okay WrestleMania. It wasn't bad. I don't think it was their best either, though. So, it just, you know, it was just like, you know, there were matches you look forward to, then there were matches you were kind of like, meh. Well, it, it was like, like a lot of people were, were pushing. There was like a rumor going around that Becky Lynch was coming back last night and she was going to make an oh, opinion. She trolled everyone. Uh, <laughs> and then, like, and then, of course, it was like, then Bailey, like, I love Bailey. Like, Bailey's one of my favorites. But, like, they have her dressing up as like a grandmother practically now with the fake glasses and the ding dong hello. Stupid show. Yeah, and no, it was, was icing on the cake for that. I'm like, when Bailey came out at, at in, on night two, and I'm like, oh, this is where Becky's going to come out. This is great. This is going to be awesome. And, like, Becky's going to interrupt her or something. No. Who comes out? The fucking Bellas, man. Like, I need the Bellas back here. And, oh, side note, too. When they were having the – I don't know if you heard about this or noticed it. But when they did the Hall of Fame on, when was it, Thursday night they did it or Tuesday? Mm-hmm. They did it and the Bellas did their speech. And apparently they pumped in one more match chant for the no, Bellas. No, 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 please. If I never see the Bellas in a ring again, it'll be too soon. I was like, who? I was like, no one is ever chanting one more match. For the I don't want anything to do with the Bellas wrestling again. If you've seen the videos of Breeze botches, they're hilarious, by the way. But no, I don't want the Bellas anywhere near a wrestling ring. I'm tired of the Bellas. I think they've always been an overrated, ta- overrated wrestlers in general. They're just hot women that can semi wrestle, but I don't think they're anything special. No, I always love it when they're like, "Oh yeah, they they helped trailblaze to what you you are today." No, you didn't. Total Div- and if you've ever watched Total Divas, you really see how shallow they are. Oh yeah, they're incredibly shallow women. They are incredibly insecure and like self lack any type of self-esteem, but I just, no, I don't want anything to do with the Bellas. I've had, I don't yeah, want to yeah, see the Bellas ever again. The Bellas away from my, the wrestling. Right? Listen, you had your run, have a great life. You know, you have a beautiful, you have both have beautiful families. Enjoy it. We don't need to see you guys again in the wrestling ring. WrestleMania for me was good, but not great. And I think for WrestleMania needs to be like the flagship show of WWE it needs to be better. Yes. Yeah, your big go home, go balls to the wall. And then one other thing before we go. Do we need to have all this pyro for every fucking wrestler that comes down the aisle? I think, you know. Like Riddle came down. He had pyro when he first walked in. And he had pyro right as soon as he got to the ring. Rhea Ripley, same thing. Rhea Ripley had all this fire and stuff. By the way, that girl from that band is hot. Yes. New Year's Day. I've actually seen them in concert before. They're actually really good. But... Um, Ripley had pyro when she first got to the, the rampway and then as soon as she gets to the ring all the fucking fireworks are going off all over the place like around the stadium usually yeah I, w- I would say pyro that. do you possibly need for every wrestler like I don't I, I, I agree with you 
But I was just like, I think they just wanted to do it just because it was like, oh, it's WrestleMania and we're back. You know, we got fans now. So, like, I guess they wanted to go above and beyond for their entrances with the fireworks. So, like, yeah, I get it a little bit. All right. So for me, again, like Clem said, it was good. Not a great pay-per-view. I think it could have been better. Um, I think some of the matches felt rushed. Um, I hated the endings to some of the matches. And I just don't need endless interfering. Like, I, I just I can't I can't deal with it anymore. Like, I want to have good matches with these guys. Like, you want to look forward to matches, but as soon as some schmuck runs in to interfere with it, it's like, well, it just totally defeated the purpose of them fighting. Yeah. So, like, for example, I don't think Apollo Crews is a great champion because he needed Dabakato to beat Big E. Mm -hmm. He could beat Big E on his own. Right. You know, so how can I possibly sit here and say Apollo Crews is a great champion? I just can't. So, all right, before we get out of here, um, trade deadline today was in the NHL. Uh, the one thing I'm frustrated about the NHL trade deadline was literally all the good players went to the same division with the Islanders. Yeah, I know. Right. I saw that. I was like, what the fuck? Capitals got like a bunch of guys. The Bruins got Taylor Hall. Listen, I love the Islander trade, by the way. Let me get that out of the way. I love the fact they got Kyle Palmieri and Travis Zajac. I also like the fact that they made a very minor deal today for Braden Coburn who was with Ottawa, but he was with the Lightning. He's won, I think he's won a cup with the Lightning. You know, he's, he's, he's all, he's 37, but it's some good depth for the defense, and he's a solid veteran. And last year when Lamarillo made the trade for Andy Green, that worked out really well. So I can't really judge Lou. I won't criticize Lou at all for the trades that he makes. So I was really happy with the trade. They didn't really give up a lot to get Palmieri and Zajac. And from what I had read on Instagram, they had a deal on the table for Taylor Hall. Oh, don't say that to me. There was a rumor going around that was on Instagram or was on Twitter that the Islanders and Sabres had a, had a deal in place for Taylor Hall, but then the Devils and came back and offered up Zajac to go with Palmieri, and Lou Lamarillo chose to make that deal instead. So whatever the deal was, so Taylor Hall really has not having a good year with the Sabres. But, um, and those are Lou's guys. Like Lou, Lou knows – but that's the only reason why they agreed to go to the go to the Islanders was because yeah. they had a no trade. Yeah, and and the, and if Zajac only agreed to go because he wasn't going very far. Yeah, and if there's one person, if there's one coach that can get like the most out of them at where they at at their age, it's Barrett. Yeah, and the thing is, is that <clears throat> they're both they're all unrestricted free agents after this year, so you know you you didn't give up a lot to get him and they could wind up going to another team. It's not a big deal. I could see Kyle Palmieri staying with the Islanders. I don't know if um, Zajac will. Mm -hmm. I could see Zajac going right back to the Devils, you know, just to kind of finish off his career in New Jersey. Right. But um, overall, listen, the Islanders had a great trade deadline. They beat the Rangers last night. That was, that was a solid win for them overall. Uh, Rangers were quiet at the deadline, but that's okay. I, I don't know. They're on the fence about whether they're going to make it. They're only four points back of Boston. So they and they're pretty loaded, locked and loaded right now with their young young guys. So did I'm not surprised they didn't make a deal overall. I think they would have given up a lot to get certain players, and they don't need to do that. So there's that. All right, that's gonna do it for the Moffat on the Mic show for this Monday evening. Thank you everybody for checking us out live on the A1 Sports Network Facebook feed. Uh, Clem, Thursday or no? I'll let you know. Okay, so right now tentatively we might have a show on Thursday. So. But again, follow the show on Instagram at Moff on the Mic, on Twitter at On Moffitt, and on the Facebook page as well. You can follow Clem and the A1 Sports Network on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Everyone, wherever you are, stay safe. Have a great rest of the week. Clem, uh, stay safe tonight when you're at work. 
And uh, we'll be back next, either Thursday or next week with an all new show. Everybody again, take care of yourself. Stay safe. Clem, get my second vaccine on Saturday. Ooh, good, good luck. So going to get Moderna. I have uh, Moderna. Good luck. Uh, but so we'll see. But everybody, wherever you are, stay safe. Have a great rest of the week. Have a great week, everybody. Take care. See you next week.